Welcome to the Quarter Degree Movie Podcast for The Light Between Oceans. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Mulrensky. But I want to be called Morosky. And with <laughs> our Light Between Oceans tagline, there might be more than one, so stand by, we have Kelly Wand. Uh, a man and three babies. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Ouch. In the stomach. So oh. insensitive. Kelly Wan, do you have one that's not quite as cruel? Uh, you know, the movie's almost over when characters realize they're dumb. <laughs> that's more of a cosmic one. All right. Do you have, a, do you have more of these? I only have one more. Yeah. It's, uh, I prefer both leads as robots. <laughs> oh, very nice. Wow. The point is not... JK, JK. The point is he got us. He, he saved a great one for last. Yeah, that's my new plan. Plan. It's my new plan. What? I did? Good. Okay, then that worked. That's the last one, then, because you Good. said that. All right, Kelly Wan, before we talk about this movie, and there will be spoilers, I'm warning people who haven't seen Light Between Oceans. We'll be spoiling things, but before we do any spoilery stuff, Kelly Wand. I want you to pit Dingus and I in a battle of wits against each other. All right. In honor of uh, it being the 24-month anniversary of your favorite Hobbit movie. Oh, Battle of Five Armies. Yeah. I'm gonna, I feel it's in my wheelhouse. I'm going to win it. It's about the dwarves. Uh-oh. Not a fan of dwarves, I have to say. What? Those are my least favorite. They're the characters. Quests. They're the ones you're rooting for in the whole movie. No. They're the they're... whole point of the quest. They're the fellowship. Yeah, but I don't like, like Legolas, though. So. Eh, they're they're kind of dorks. I mean, and Thorin is... That's not how it's pronounced. He's weak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thorin's a big pussy. Can we make this about elves instead? I, I prefer elves. All right, we'll make it about elves. No, go ahead. We'll Do you hear how he says the plural of elf? Elves. Kelly? Yeah. Elves. They live under the windmill. Come <laughs> on, oh, guys. At Rivendell. Um, okay, which of these three dwarves played clarinet? A. Biffer. <laughs> I don't see what's so funny. This is serious stuff. Obviously, a dwarf's playing. That sounds like a clarinetist. Tom's right. Now, I want to hear the other two before I decide. B. Boffer. Yeah, okay. C. Bomber. Dad gummit, they all sound alike. And do we just shout out an answer? Or does one of us have to buzz in? You have to shout the other person's name. <laughs> Tom. I choose Bomber. Man. Okay. So do Wait, I find so out if he's right, or do I have to make my own pick? I guess if you guess first and miss, then you lose. Right. See, Dingus? Wow. Oh, wait, did he miss? I love the rules of this game. <laughs> yeah, okay, so Tom gets the point. Wait a minute. Hold on. Clarinets existed. Because we talked last week about whether or not dogs exist in Star Trek. And a listener, by the way, told us that in, in the Scott Bakula Star Trek, he's got a dog. So there are dogs. Are there clarinets in Middle Earth? Well, yeah, because this is that's why this question exists. <laughs> So there are tubas and trombones as well. Yeah, they have bands. They could have, they could have had a band follow them, but like Custer. <laughs> who's, he had who's his a, own marching band is, to follow is, them around. Is there a dwarf flautist? No, it's uh, that's 
There's two other ones. There's Dorist and Blorist. <laughs> Just kidding. Dingus, please. This is a serious question. I agree. But Tolkien really says, hey, this dwarf plays a clarinet. He really he uses the word clarinet. Yeah, I think it's covering the Silmarillion, actually. All right. I'm skeptical about this quiz, but carry on. All right. So Wait, who, what's your guess? Who's the, who's, well, he doesn't have to guess. He already won the point. Oh, oh. I guess Biffer. Uh, you're right, but the trick question was either of them did. So it could ah, see, Dingus, you had a 66. Are you serious with me right chance. now? Dingus, picked, you picked the one wrong answer. Nice work, Dingus. Right, so okay. that's kind of a wrong answer, Dingus. You had a two and three chance. Yeah, Dingus. Yeah. But I liked your courage. You were way braver than Thor and Oakenshield. <laughs> or the groin. Okay, which character in the oh, Hobbit okay. movies? Wait a minute. Is this, this isn't... First of all, this quiz is not from the movie. There's no, I have seen Battle of Five Armies, I think, three times. No dwarf ever plays a clarinet in that movie. Well, I just said the quiz is in honor of the anniversary of that movie. But the questions I can see. cover all the movies. And but, the Silmarillion, apparently. And the books. And the Silver books. All right. Okay. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I just wanted to make sure that you hadn't gotten your hands on some special super secret sp- you know, like special extended edition of Battle of Five Armies that have oh, you mean what, foot. the one where the dwarves eat the orcs at the end? <clears throat> yeah, in the books? <laughs> you sound like you are picturing the scene happening. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, actually, it would be. Well, in the books, none of the dwarves die, right? The eagles probably showed up to eat eat dead bodies, oh. right? Uh, these scavengers. Eagles don't eat carrion. No, they're they're birds of prey. Uh, but in the book, none of the seriously, none of the dwarves die in the book, right? Thorin dies. Spoiler alert. Oh. Okay. Doesn't he die in the movies? Did you just uh, say eagles don't eat carrion? Because they're birds of prey? Yeah. Okay. What? Is that right? I just yeah, assumed you knew what he was talking about. Aren't vultures and... and uh, they're and not eagles. They're scavengers. scavengers. of prey? No, no, no. They're scavengers. Birds of prey are like like predators. They have... they Because they they're, they they're birds. Living. Yeah, they eat prey. Like zombies. So an eagle would not eat carrion. I don't think so. I mean, I imagine if it were starving, it might, but that's not part of its natural diet. It's not a scavenger like a like a vulture. Natural diet, okay. They, of course, they would eat carrion. Mm, I don't know. We'll have the listeners correct us on that about like the thing with the dogs in Star Trek. We'll find out. Okay, good. Eating something while it's alive sounds annoying. <laughs> All right. Uh, which character in the Hobbit movies is Gandalf's cousin? <laughs> uh, 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 the Radagast. Tom gets the point. What, what's his color? Though? What's his color? Brown. Radagast the brown. Oh, darn it! I'm so good at talking, you guys. You really are. All right. Who in Wait a minute. charge? Wait, seriously, though, Radagast and Gandalf are related. Yeah, they're cousins. Sweet. Okay. So they you can. Just, you just called him Radagast. They... Um, how many more of these are there? Uh, two. Okay. So Dingus, you Tom's still... already got two, so I think we're kind of done. No, you got no. Oh, you could tie it up. Dingus, quit being okay. a sore loser just because you don't know as much about J.R.R. Tolkien as I do. That's a good point, actually. You haven't even he doesn't seen know Battle... anything. He hasn't even. You guys haven't even seen Battle of Five Armies. You're not Tolkien. I tried Tolkien. to watch part of it. It's oh, too. So it, it's too <laughs> um, light. There's too many lights in it, like just globes of light. If I That's how movies work, Kelly Wand. Like, the CG used to look like different things, and now it's just like, all right, here's a fucking Taurus. 
Wait, so you gave up on a movie that opens with a dragon torching a city? That took forever. Oh, I know, didn't it? It was awesome. Yeah, that's true. All right, two more questions. But still, I don't care about Bard. I didn't care about him in the book. Who's Bard? Is that Luke Evans? (sighs) I don't remember their names. I just remember the actors. You wait. So when you watch The Hobbit, you go, "Oh, Luke Evans is going to kill Dragon." Like that's he's the, the his name part. is Bard, or that's his class. That's his name or his class. Oh, he's his name's Bard. He's an archer. He doesn't even. He's being ironic. He's a hipster. <laughs> um, but getting back to the Hobbit quiz yes. that Dingus is enjoying. Yeah, true I'm, or false? I'm loving it. Oh, true or false? Okay, Dingus, you have true or false? Yep. Yeah, fifty percent chance. So. This should favor Dingus. True or false, Bilbo's effects were uh, liquidated by auctioneers named Chub Chub and Burroughs. I mean, I'll jump in, Dingus. You want me to? I, I, Go ahead, I don't, I don't think Kelly Wan would invent stuff like that. Like, that sounds a little too outrageous for him to invent. So I'm going to say true. Okay, Tom wins the quiz. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's a, one more question, though. Let's do this for all the points. Yeah, go ahead. Let's go with another one. This is, uh, this is hilarious. This is triple or fun. nothing. All right. Uh, which character was Bilbo's great-granduncle who led the defense against the goblins at Mount Graham? Was it the old Took, Bungo Baggins, Belladonna Took, or Bullroarer Took? Bullroarer Took. Tom wins the quiz again. I know wow. that from a game called Lord of the Rings Online because there's a statue of him in the Shire. Oh, you sounded like you knew. Huh. See? All right. I'm telling you guys, I'm, if you have any questions about J.R. Tolkien or The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, maybe not the Silmarillion, but all that other stuff that got made into movies, I'm super good at that, just so you guys know. Did you? Is it in the game he knocked the goblin leader's head off with the – blow from his club and invented the sport of golf. Yep, and it's, that's what the statue is, is. He's basically taking a swing. <sighs> it's fucking golf and Tolkien. Did you know about that? <laughs> well, like, yeah, I guess if there's golf, there should be clarinets. That makes sense to me. Right, let's go together. All right, well, great. That that just And just a reminder, everyone, it's the, what would you say, 24-month anniversary of The Lord of the Rings, colon, The Hobbit, colon, The Battle of the Five Armies. Uh, a Since movie this that... is a Life Between the Opsis podcast, I figure they care about The Hobbit, too. Ooh, why? Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's a significant date, so we, we all heartily endorse, at least those of us who've seen it, heartily endorse Battle of Five Armies. The lighthouse is like Mordor. Ah, very good. Oh. Very good. Now, Dingus, why don't you tell the listeners, what's this about a lighthouse? What movie did we see this week? Don't spoil anything yet, because we're going to let Kelly Wan do that later. What's this lighthouse movie that Kelly One's referencing? All right. Well, this week we saw The Light Between Oceans. Mm. A 2016 romance period drama movie about how I'm your only friend. I'm not your only friend, but I'm a little glowing friend, but I'm not actually your friend, but I am. It was directed by Derek France and written by him for the screen based on the novel by M.L. Stedman. It stars Michael Fassbender, Rachel Weiss, Jack Thompson, Brian Brown, and Alicia Vikander. The Light Between Oceans is rated PG-13 for thematic material and <laughs> some sexual content. No. <laughs> 
False. Are you are you refusing the sexual content? I decline it. Decline that rating. Tell me so what for you will, you will accept a bluff, but decline sexual content. I refuse to accept this movie as sexual content. For right. 1918, Kelly, that was some pretty steamy stuff. Yeah, it's not even PG-13 for 1918. <laughs> <laughs> it's no eye of the needle, but it is pretty sexual. Ugh, what? No, it's not. You only know they had sex because a baby comes out, sort of. Mm-hmm. No, there's 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 moaning. There's people on top of each other. There's nakedness, Kelly. Well, there's people who are naked. Well, do you have Do you have other rating things that they might have missed? Uh, I would have said Ursat's gynecology, war references, weather, and mischievous children. <laughs> wow! But that's just me. I'm not a scientist like they are. Thematic uh, material isn't my wheelhouse. Uh, Life Between Oceans didn't do very well at the box office on its opening weekend. <laughs> Wheelhouse. It was in sixth place. Oh, what against what? Uh, well, it was the second weekend for Don't Breathe, and that that was at number one. Hmm. Uh, Suicide Squad, I think, was number two that that weekend. Uh, Ugh. And then going on down the line, finally, with six million dollars in sixth place, light between. I think it's a ter- I think it's a troublesome title, like Edge of Tomorrow. I think people don't want to see something called Light Between Oceans. You know what made even less money than Light Between Oceans? Actually, one of the worst openings for a wide release. I think it placed, according to the box office, Mojo, something like 14th place, worst opening for any movie opening wide, like over 2,000 screens. Uh, a movie I saw that has a terrible title called Morgan. Never, never, ever name your movie just somebody's name because that doesn't tell you anything. What do you – like is it – What about it, Orphan? But it's not Lucy. a name. It's not a oh. name. What, what, Dingus? What about Lucy? No, that's a terrible one, too. Because it's like, how are you supposed to know she's got superpowers and she, her brain expands and she conquers time and space and all that? You don't know that from the title. It could be a romantic comedy. It could be... Geely. Geely. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. That's a romantic comedy, right? Like, that's a... Yeah, yeah never name theory. your movie. Like, put more information in the title of your movie, for Pete's sake. Don't just... What about some... Batman? Annie that's Hall. not a name. That's a title. Yeah, Annie Hall. That's a great uh, one. Yeah, so yeah, at least there's a last name. So you're like, okay, this movie's serious enough about its character <laughs> that we get the full name. You liked Mordecai, too. Mm, I liked Johnny Depp in Mordecai. But Mordecai, again, uh, what is that movie about? Who knows? Mordecai? Yeah, who I, is he? I, I think this movie has either one, one too many articles in the title or one too few. The Light so, Between the Oceans? Or The Light Between Oceans? Yeah, it, 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 it sounds McGuire. kind of... It sounds kind of poetic, but it should either be light between oceans or the light between the oceans. I don't know. I think people just get tripped up on the weird, like, dissonance of articles in this title. Well, I think the problem with this one, yeah. the problem with Morgan is that uh, it, it was marketed poorly and it's not that great. I mean, I liked it a lot. It's not that great a movie. It's a genre thing. But uh, the problem with this is I don't – as much as I like him, I don't think Michael Fassbender Bender, uh moves tickets i don't think he's a box office draw did you just say as much as i like it as much as i like him i love much i like him yeah yeah uh i haven't said anything yet about my opinion in this movie i thought you said as much as i like it uh as much as i like fassbender i don't think he's much of a box office draw and i think light between oceans is uh is oh oh, oh, well no he said something a little convoluted about morgan where he said it's genre film I really no, like it, but right. Morgan didn't do well, 
uh, and I'm not surprised it didn't do well. Uh, there's really nobody there, – there's no box office draw in Morgan. You really don't know what it is from the title. I have no idea what kind of marketing uh, – is it Sony? Well, what kind of marketing was done for it? Um, and because it's a genre movie, I'm not surprised it didn't do well. So calling uh, it Fassbender wouldn't have improved it. Exactly, right. But I'm also not surprised that Light Between Oceans didn't do well because I don't think Fassbender is a box office draw, and I think they were kind of counting on that, maybe. Oh, I see. Um, but well, I've never heard of the book. Yeah, I neither. I mean, I wonder. It's probably like some. Well, you know, we'll get. To well, that. you know, I can speak to that, but we will do that after uh, we right. talk. Well, but first of all, <laughs> let's check critical reception. Didn't do well huh. commercially, but uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Over half the reviews are positive. In fact, 59% of them are positive on Rotten Tomatoes. On Metacritic, its average rating from various reviews, 60. So uh, there you go. Kelly Wan, yeah. what is The Light Between Oceans about? What happens in this movie? <clears throat> do you have a guess as to what I would call such a thing? Of course I do. It's The Light Bopsis Oceanopsis. I'm very unhappy with that guess. I don't have anything better. I thought it was called Life Between the Oceans. <laughs> Even that's not right, is it? It's Life Between Oceans. No, it's Light Between Oceans. See? Never mind. Life Between the Opsis. There's some shots of oceans doing nothing. The sunshine on the wave spells out light or life between opsies. Some numbers are all 19-something. Fastbender's got a mustache. I lean over to Kristen Scott Thomas sitting beside me and go, Carpet matches the drapes. You see shame? She blows out a lantern in my face. Fastbender stares at the water in slow motion as a tear runs down his cheek. The water wins. Fastbender has dinner with some bald old men in Belisha Vikander. Vic- Jesus! <laughs> the Alpha Coots all. Thank you all for coming to Parmesan. Speaking of which, Mr. Fassbender, our lighthouse keeper's lost his shit. How would you like a job sitting in a lighthouse all day and writing random numbers in a log? The moment I saw you, it was hard for me to picture you doing anything else, although I haven't seen shame. My wife keeps saying, not for you, bald character. I think the candor's my daughter. Lighthouse. <laughs> So that guy talked. <laughs> a lighthouse sounds almost as fun as the Western Front. I could really use some solitude after that. Took forever for some of those idiots in the trenches with me to die. Splendid, you start Thursday. Vic Anders all. He can't Thursday. He's busy having a picnic with me that day. <laughs> Breathy. Breathy? Don't breathe. <laughs> He's happy. <laughs> talking is hard. Pump a candor. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> she gets it. That's what he liked about her on the set. He can't Thursday. He's busy having a picnic with me that day. Fastbender does a spit take. She's all, so the boats will just have to crash. My biological clock's ticking. Everybody toasts the clock. Baldman's all, 
Speaking of which, the lighthouse keeper you're replacing says his wife keeps annoying him for sex the past few weeks. What's wrong with that? His wife's been dead for three years. Fassbender does a spit tape. <laughs> so her ghost may proposition you for sex. Be alert, stay safe, and use protection. Wearing a condom makes it look ghost-like. <laughs> What's happening? What's happening? Fassbender excuses himself and tries to jump off a cliff, but is dragged to a field by Vikander for the picnic. <laughs> Isn't this great how much we have in common? We both love our families. My parents were so terrible they made World War I feel like Christmas inside a supermodel. If they'd gotten a telegram saying I'd be killed in combat, they'd have laughed, thrown a party, and renewed their vows. Well, okay. Uh... <laughs> Let's try talking about the future instead. Time is a human construct mortared with tragedy. There's no future, only the calamities we hope will happen. Being with you cheers me up. Take me out to the lighthouse. Are you insane? She shrugs. Women aren't allowed in lighthouses. What's next? Woman queens? Where's it end? The only exception is the lighthouse keeper's wife. Oh, just because she's a ghost? No, I mean any lighthouse keeper's wife. For that lighthouse, obviously. We still have so much in common. Marry me. Just so you can see a lighthouse? I'll just take a picture of one. Photography in this era takes half as long as marriage. Fassbender distracts her by pointing behind her and manages to escape to the lighthouse. Things are awesome for a few weeks, but eventually they both decide to start writing each other. <laughs> Dearest the Candist. The time I spent with you at our idyllic picnic feels like only seconds ago is screen time. When I look at it, the crashing waves, they remind me of your breasts and the rocks poking out from them like your nipples, but also your eyeballs, which are brown also and encrusted with barnacles. Your spit takes are like fountains of honeysuckle. Regardfully fast bender. P.S. I shaved it. The catter does a wistful spit take, puts the letter down, dips a lockpick in some ink and scribbles. Oh, fast bendest. Reading your correspondence was like bathing under a creamy, warm, salty waterfall. Last night I watched X-Men Apocalypse and realized that marrying you would be a terrible mistake. But then I found my mother's copy of Shame this morning, and after pausing certain frames, I've come to reconsider, literally. Signed the Vikander character. P.S. I waxed them. The next day they're married. He takes her back to the lighthouse, shows her what a piano is, then takes her upstairs. She lies on the bed and looks up at him smolderingly. My translator perks up expectantly. As Fassbender starts to unzip his pants, the camera dissolves to him, snoring on top of a visibly irate Vikander 90 <laughs> seconds later. I lean over to D.H. Lawrence beside me and go, I know which character I am. Fassbender's soporific technique proves unstoppable procreatively. Nine months later, on the day the kids do, he's all, Roy, I'll be up in the lighthouse logging in rain droplets for the war department. You stay down here and play with your pots and pans, and don't disturb me. In fact, I'll be locking and bolting me door to keep you, I mean the rainwater out. Lighthouses may look tall, but rest assured they flood easily once they tip over. Speak. God damn it, I can't do it. Oh, so much to say. Yes, me, we shouldn't put him so close to shore in the first place. What if a boat hits him? But don't worry, if it's important, I'll just try to hear you over the rain. He slams the door on her spit tape. That night, while contemplating new ways to stack her kettles, the candor abruptly goes into labor. It's like American Werewolf. 
Although telephones exist during this era, they don't have one. So she uses the slightly cruder method of walking out into a raging hurricane, scaling the precarious steps to the lighthouse to bang on Fassbender's door for a couple hours and slipping into a coma. It's like their wedding night, but reversed. The next morning, Fassbender stretches, yawns, checks his log, goes, 4,844,900, eh, let's just make it a bunch. Now to tell Vikander about my work day. Whistling cheerfully, he crosses the room and opens the door. Vikander slumps forward. Fassbender's all, damn. In shock and horror, he drops his lantern on her head. Then he carries her down all the steps to the house, gently whispering, It's God's me witness, me love. Our baby's going to be fine. You have me wood. The camera dissolves to him nailing a little wooden cross marked baby number one, always remembered to a gravesite later. He looks over at Vikander, crying behind him in blood-soaked maternity clothes, and goes, Ready to try again? Behind them, the lighthouse keeper's wife's ghost does a spit take. Vikander's all, I don't know, I really thought for some reason being married to you in a lighthouse for decades would be a laugh riot. Fassbender strokes her eyeball tenderly. He's all, it will be, you have me word. The camera cuts to him nailing a second cross into the ground next to the first one. This one reads, baby number two, yeah, okay, we get it. He finishes hammering and looks down at it, sweating. She looks past him to see some strange old men arriving by boat. Vikander's all, oh, you got me a doctor? That's sweet. Always thinking of my welfare. The old men brush past her and start going to work tuning the piano. Passbenders <laughs> all. Don't take this the wrong way, but I feel like I might have better luck impregnating the piano at this juncture. Hey, look, a boat. You're closer. Go swim out there. <laughs> what are you doing? Sorry, I thought I heard the ground crying. I'll go look for a boat. Wait, which ocean? Actually, which oceans are these? What the fuck is Janus? <laughs> Fassbender eventually shows up on shore, where they find a dead blonde guy and a suspiciously healthy baby girl in a rowboat. Oh, look, she has your mustache. I say we keep her. Her name's Lucy. I don't know. Rachel Voice isn't even the... Mo- it- <laughs> I don't know. Rachel Weiss isn't even in the movie yet. Come on! <laughs> He digs a hole and buries the rowboat in it. Then they kill the watching piano tuners to keep them quiet and eat the dead German. Fassbender yanks out the second baby's grave marker to make a crib out of it. That's terrible. The next day, they go to Baldwin Island to show off the baby that looks nothing like either of them and cough and whistle uneasily whenever asked for details about the actual birth. Then they decide to baptize the baby, but accidentally show up at the church nine hours early. While everybody kicks the door and breaks stained glass windows, Fassbender looks and sees Rachel Weiss crying over a tombstone. He's all, who's that? (laughs) Ah, the wretched Weiss woman. We never talk about her. Her husband was German. Some people were mean to him, so he took their infant daughter with him into a rowboat and sailed out to sea. Right in your direction, actually. Now she's here, too, even as we're here, being sad. (laughs) We're here, she's here, we're here to christen an unrelated baby. Quite a coincidence. (laughs) Ah, here's an axe. Let's get to baptizing. Fassbender mopes over to the tombstone and reads the engraving. Adolph and Rachel Jr. lost at sea following a vaguely described incident. The cat squints at all this. Whatever. Come on, I love the baby in the fountain. 
When Fassbender snorts awake, he's sitting in the back row of a crowded auditorium. There are banners strung everywhere that say International Lighthouse Enthusiast Society Palooza 1922. <laughs> Caveat Emptor. <laughs> what? Why would it say that? Standing at a lectern at the front, the ball bends all. And the following morning, I discovered that yet another of my hairs had fallen out. And now, without further ado, some impromptu words about loneliness from shattered military veteran and my third favorite son-in-law, Michael Fassbender. He alone claps as Fassbender walks up to the podium. Fassbender's all, microphone's all, Oh, is this thing on? Damn. Uh, much like I told me wife yesterday when she said we were keeping the baby we found in a rowboat, I wasn't expecting this. I mean, his gaze strays to Rachel Weiss staring longingly at the baby in Vikander's arms. Both the baby and Weiss start to drool. Uh, didn't really prepare anything. Uh, fuck, I sure wish I was on the western front right now. I mean, um, life is like a light between oceans, bright at the tip and usually taupe in color. Uh, what's the difference between a baby and the Western Front? Uh, you don't want to handle either of them without a gas mask. Thank you all for coming. He steps down. One guy in the back claps. Fassbender sits down next to Vikander and goes, I don't like surprises. The baby vomits on him. After the speech, Weiss walks up hollow-eyed and desolate. (laughs) (laughs) She's all, hey, I really liked what she said up there. Thank you. I thought I nailed it, actually. Mentioning the Western Front's always a good icebreaker. I was talking to the bald man. My, what a nice baby you have. May I? She takes the baby and drives it home with her, so they have to follow and retrieve it. (laughs) That night. Maybe just to be fair, we should give Rachel Weiss one of our first two, or at least the rowboat. No, she's fine. We'll just (laughs) get back and turn 80. I promise. Pops is first to the book too, so it's like a Cliff's Notes. Just you know, type things and say. But Fassbender's still torn. He decides the best thing for everybody is to drive Weiss even more around the bend by writing a cryptic letter. Dear Miss Weiss, know that your husband died mysteriously. I'd give you back the baby, but my wife's batshit. It's like being married to the Western Front, but here's his or her rattle at least, signed a different lighthouse keeper. P.S. I bruised them. Later at the police station, Miss Weiss, please, this letter could be a product of your hysteria. How do we even know what the robot is? This is Fassbender's handwriting. These are his nail clippings, and it's his return address on the envelope, and he handed it to me, then he ran away. The cop rolls his eyes and heads out to the island. When Fassbender sees him coming, he grabs Vikander and goes, All right, look, I may have written a few letters to Weiss telling him we kidnapped a baby, but don't worry, if they find the rowboat, I'll just tell him it was self-defense. Vikander does a dramatic spit take. Fassbender's arrested for murder, even though there's no sign of violence on the corpse. For some reason, the only person whose testimony matters in this case is Vikander's, and she's not saying anything, which means in the eyes of the law, Fassbender's guilty. Fassbender writes Vikander a letter apologizing to her for her obfuscating the investigation, which she decides not to read till the plot calls for it. Meanwhile, the baby's five. It's reunited with Weiss, much to its annoyance. (laughs) 
breaking it down. One day, while the cop's handing over the screaming runaway to Weiss for the ninth time, Weiss decides to remember something the blonde German husband said to her one day. In her flashback, Weiss is all, How come you let let those bees keep stinging you? Shouldn't you take your head out of the hive at least? The Germans all, Oh, Rachel, as the Germans like to say after World War I, to forgive once takes only a second, but to not forgive lasts forever. She blinks away the time travel, looks at the cop, and goes, Officer, I know maritime law is complex and probably varies from case to case, but what if I told you to tell the judge to ask for clemency? What would happen specifically to the movie star characters? Well, as always, in accordance with the laws of Janice, we'd have to make them do jail time for a minute and a half. Why? Down at the docks, Fassbender boards the barge that takes criminal lighthouse employees to prison on another continent. As he gets aboard, he's all, oh, well, at least I've lost. Had some pretty good moments. Oh, Jesus, here she comes. <laughs> Stop the legal system, boat. I killed, I killed the rowboat. I withheld mentioning it till now, but then I read a letter. Officer, now what? Well, as always, in accordance with the laws of Janice, you don't need a trial or anything. Just get on the boat, too. We'll nail the woman to prison en route. <laughs> Same boat, just go. Paperwork later. Thirty years later, a 1950s car drives up to Fassbender's house. A blonde person emerges. She goes inside, wakes up Fassbender, and goes, "Hi, I'm the girl from the rowboat. I just got married, by the way. For half a second, I toyed with inviting you to my wedding, but then I went. How did you get? <laughs> you here? That's good to know. Fassbender sighs, opens a drawer, and takes out a letter." He hands it to her and goes, your fake mother told me you'd probably swing by after she died, so she wrote this for you. It's not as good as her earlier work. The woman eventually manages to pry the crumpled sheet of paper from his fist, smooths it out on his face, and reads, Dear Lucy, I wish you'd... Oh, sorry. It's the candor writing this. <clears throat> Dear Lucy, <laughs> I wish it showed up when I was alive, but I guess this is still fun. Pretty crazy when we kidnapped you, but it made sense at the time. But your dad took you in a rowboat off to die, so who's the real idiot? Signing Lee Picander. Certainly <laughs> <laughs> the daughter raises her eyes to Fassbender and starts to answer. The lighthouse does a spit take. The end. Oh my god, Kelly Wand, another another character in your stable. Picander. Excellent Picander. <laughs> this husky. So unexpected and so welcome. Oh, jeez. Uh, well, that's how she sounds. <sighs> wow. I'm the real actor here. <laughs> I can do any accent for any amount of time. All right, Dingus, what do we know about this book? Tell us about what's the deal with the book here. I'm guessing it's some, like, Oprah book club thing. It's really big with uh, book clubs. Uh, it. It certainly must be because the what I was going to say, and I feel kind of bad about relaying this, but uh, when I was at my kid's soccer game, um, <laughs> uh, my ex-wife said, well, what's what's the podcast you're going to see? Uh, and I said, I have to go. I have to, I'm going to see this movie called The Light Between Oceans. And she said, well, I've read that. And and she's a super smart person, but. The books she reads are book, are book club books, and so immediately I just went, "Oh no!" Um, so that's uh, that's she all. She didn't offer anything beyond that, though. No, no, she just said, "Oh, I've read." It was that. a red flag to you. 
that it yeah. was a book club book. And no, she won't. She wouldn't offer anything beyond that because she knows me well enough to know. Don't tell him anything because he gets, you know, I don't want any spoilers. She, you know, she understands that about me. She's good <laughs> like that. Um, but, the, but you know, she, again, she's super smart, but the kind of books she wants to read for fiction are book club books. And as soon as she said, oh, I've read that, I just knew, oh, God, that's what I'm in for. Um, so... Uh, uh, this is this is the first uh, the first book by this particular author. Uh, her name is uh, M. L. Stemmen. Hugely successful book, um, uh, hugely lauded, uh, and you know thought of uh, in 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 terms of like classics as far as like book clubs are concerned. Um, so that's all I know about it. Although you know, in, in in the book, uh, it's it's not only. Um, it's not only two miscarriages, I think it's also a stillbirth. So it's like, like one, two, three. It's, it's, I mean, it's pretty dire. Uh, oh, well, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Bad one. Yeah, yeah. That would have totally redeemed. Dingus, what's How the much? running time on this movie? Two hours and 13 minutes. Oh, my golly. And you can, really? fill, you can fill every fucking one of them. Yeah. Those. Yeah. But Dingus, okay, Dingus is cursed at the. Oh, sorry, I, I apologize. So Dingus hates this movie. I can tell. I he rolled out an f bomb right off the. Off so the bat. much. Kelly, why did it sound like you wanted to take issue with that? No, what you thought I was going to take issue with what Dingus said? <laughs> I did. Um, there were like twenty good minutes in it, though. Where when the wife goes nuts, I'm like, oh wait, now it's kind of getting good. Stuff's starting to happen, and it's going to be like a like a Patricia Highsmith kind of like things going darker and darker and darker. And then it kind of just it just suddenly gets better at the end, and then it's like, mm, all right. so that, what do you mean it gets better? Like the, the movie gets better, or their circumstances get better? Their circumstances get better because she finally decides to she just changes her mind, right? arbitrarily and eventually I got it's, lost. I don't know if it's just because I was completely uninterested in the movie at this point, but I got lost in, in terms of trying to parse like what was her motivation when, and did she claim that, and, that he had murdered the German and what, what did she read in the letter that made her change her mind? And why didn't she just go ahead and accept the, the offer to raise Lucy? Uh, I, I, I didn't get anything about the deal at the end either, yeah, or, yeah. or what, no, when, or when what the deal failed, or, or what happened with the deal that she made with that uh, that Hannah made with uh, Isabel. Um, I, I didn't get any of what was going on that deal. Well, it, it sounds like she offered, anything. like Rachel Weiss offers the, her the deal, and she just is like, no, nope, not interested. I'm instead going to read this letter and then go throw in my lot with my husband, and you raise the baby. Like, I didn't understand that. Like, what? Why did she? I, yeah. It made, I, the moment I checked out is when the the cop goes to see him. I checked out before this, but this is when I went, oh, this movie's a piece of shit. Is The cop goes to see him in jail, and then he goes, um, when are you? He just, he tries to, like, frame him for murder. He's like, I didn't kill you, him. You, you checked out by, the, you didn't check out until the he got into jail? Kelly Wand seemed to have hung in there a long time. Wow, wow Kelly Wand. No, I had hope that something <laughs> something cool could still happen, but then when he says, I didn't kill him, ask my wife, and then the cops all, your wife never wants to see you again. Is, and then, like, why would he say that if he cared what the truth was? He would only say that if he is has some motivation for wanting to, like, frame Fassbender for murder. But he doesn't have any motivation to do that. 
well, they're just, you know, they're just looking for someone to... Yeah, that, and that was weird, too, actually. Yeah, is why were What's... they refusing to accept that the German was dead? Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I yeah. checked out super early because... I'm not really checked out. I just... It was pretty clear to me early on that this is just going to be a turgid melodrama. Yeah, turgid. Uh, I, in yeah. fact, the, one of the words that I wrote on the top of uh, one of the pages when I was like uh, trying to transpose my my notes from this, I was like, "What is that word I wrote? Is that a quote? What's that? Oh, that's the word turgid. I actually wrote the word turgid, and I couldn't quite make it out because it was like in huge angry letters. And you can also just inferring from. Like Derek San Franz, Blue Valentine is brilliant. I think we all agree. Yeah. But I think that a lot of that brilliance belongs to Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams' uh, bravery. Like those are incredibly brave performances. Uh, I don't know if Derek San Franz wrote that, but it's a solid script. It's a, it's it's got some keen observation about relationships, and uh, that's an amazing movie. But you can see in Place Beyond the Pines, it, kind of the groundwork for this kind of movie, because that's also kind of a melodrama, and it does spin out into this slightly more complicated than it needs to be story and it seems to be padded out and anti-climax yeah 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 exactly mm-hmm. right right um so that was again early on with this where i'm like oh yeah this is the guy who made place beyond the pines and yeah. not so much the guy who made blue valentine um derek yeah. C- franz did write play uh did write blue valentine but he wrote it with a couple other people okay um uh, and and you see some of the same things going on in both movies uh, and you see, and what happened is that uh, Steven Spielberg went and plucked him to say, "Hey, you should, you should do this property we have called." Wait for Light Between Oceans. Yeah, Light Between oh, Oceans. God, so really? so, oh, right, because it was DreamWorks. I noticed yeah. the logo at the front and thought, "What? Ah, oh, that makes sense." Spielberg, damn you! What are you doing? <laughs> you need to. Yeah. That's so wrong. That's so wrong. That's I mean, so you look, this up. look at look at look at like the the things that you know the way that Love at First Sight is totally squandered in this, and the way that it's beautifully used in Blue Valentine. That whole the way uh, flashback is used so amazingly and edited so amazingly in Blue Valentine. The way it's totally used here to just add thirteen minutes to the movie. Apparently, <laughs> um, there's so many things that Blue Valentine does well that. They, that you can see Steven Spielberg going, oh, I like what he's th- he's doing. Let's get him to do this thing, and then they just—it's just total crap. It's all so artificial. I don't buy any of it. Oh he's my supposed god! Supposed to be alone on an island somewhere. He's supposed to be. Uh, he's, well, even oh, yeah, he's supposed to be numb, and and he's weeping over an. Yeah. Oh my god. They're terrible together. I didn't think he had. That's what's so funny is that this director keeps setting up these actors. That go on to have epic romances in real life, but I don't think I think that Alicia Vikander and Michael Fassbender. Wait, are they having an epic romance? Yeah. Oh my god. No, they're not. They can't be. They are. (laughs) That's hilarious. You've got to be kidding me. (laughs) Just like Eva Mendes and Ryan Gosling have kids now because of places place beyond the pines. No, they're not together. Oh, that's hilarious. They are between them in this movie, and she's terrible in it. What the hell is going on? What are you talking about? So early on, actors. Early on in the movie, when uh, and that that too, this idea that he's numb from World War One, and the first flirty girl who basically takes his hand, he's like, oh okay, like he totally is, like that was so ridiculous, and and I didn't know anything about what the story was going to be, but I'd seen in the opening credits, you know, it was one of those movies where the opening credits tell you who's going to be in it, and 
I, you know, when they get married, I'm like, oh, God, no, dude, hold out. Rachel Weiss is in yeah. the movie later on. Yeah. What are you doing? She's going to yeah. be here later. And it, it reminded me of uh, seeing Brooklyn with Saoirse Ronan taking up with that kind of a caricature douchebag Italian guy and thinking, no, Saoirse Ronan, Donald Gleason is in the credits. He's coming along later. Just hold out. Please don't hook up with this one. Uh, that was, yeah. Quite frankly, she, when, when she was at the shore throwing – cheese at the seagulls i wasn't sure is, is this way rachel weiss i'm looking at or alicia vikander i wasn't quite settled on who that was the the girl throwing the stuff and then i realized it was alicia vikander uh and then was, we're just supposed to believe that's love at first sight we're just supposed to believe that based on the way he's shooting it. not just but, yeah. that too dingus but just so it this did not seem like what a i'm assuming 19 18 year old girl would be like in 1918 right. so yeah. forward uh just completely flirty with him i mean yeah. it was such a contemporary performance in front of a dad yeah yeah exactly right <laughs> no, oh my god exactly. her dad's thrilled about all this <laughs> yeah in the movie. oh you're gonna marry that crazy lighthouse keeper where the last person went insane <laughs> oh you gotta pay me by him great <laughs> He's super in on board with them. <laughs> but but poor her. That whole scene. She can't handle a moment of emotion, and she's trying so hard. Yeah. You know, we talked about her as a robot in the last thing we saw her in, which I don't. Even, I, I guess it was that Jason Bourne movie. I didn't uh, see the Danish girl though. So yeah, that's what I feel like. So we get, we should got no, she got nominated for that. We should see that. Yeah. Right. I haven't liked her in anything, but she won an Oscar for the one thing I haven't seen her Well, you say that, but Kelly Wan, like, remember, she was fun when she was all, like, flirty and drunk with Army Hammer and Man from Uncle. Yeah, you're right. She was. I mean, as, as a cute little, like, lightweight, modely looking chick, I mean, I think she's engaging and flirty and fun. She can be. She's at least. so bad in this one, though. Yeah. But it looks like, like some, one of the girls uh, just. Uh, or not even a girl, a girl or guy, whoever, trying to trying to take on a role in college that they just they just can't handle. <laughs> it it looks like her trying to play Ophelia, and she's just playing it crazy all the time. I'm trying, I'm playing it crazy. We're going to smear a bunch of pale makeup on my face. I'm going to play it crazy and play it crazy and play it crazy without understanding what that actually means. Without you know, there's all that stuff, and and part of it I think is I, I don't think the writing is very good. Um, uh. This whole idea of like, okay, the brothers, and okay, I'm the only one in the family, now I'm going to run off with you. Uh, but any of that stuff that she's doing where she's up there like grabbing stones and acting crazy, she's just acting crazy. She's not – she doesn't get it. She doesn't yeah. – All I mean she's trying her heart out. You know, Bless her heart. She's really trying, but she just doesn't have it. And, and really watching Michael Fassbender work against her is like watching like – a guest artist come in to help some college students figure some stuff out. It's it's really embarrassing. But I even think he's just so – like he's trying to do that numb there but not there thing like Anthony Hopkins yeah. does in Remains of the Day. And I don't think that's his bag either. Like I don't – he's not – I didn't feel he was selling it. And I don't know if it's just because they had no chemistry. Um, but yeah, I didn't even like him in this. I wouldn't come away from this movie thinking, wow, that guy's great. I want to see him in other stuff. Uh I, no, no, definitely. You're definitely right about this. Because remember, too, you guys, uh, remember in Haywire, the scenes he's got with Gina Carano, who's clearly not an actress, uh, and Steven Soderbergh is so good with this sort of thing, but there's so much, there's there's very much of that that you're talking about, Dingus, with him and Gina Carano in Haywire, where, hey, here's this, this girl who's not really 
this isn't her bag. She's not really and doesn't really know how to act. But he's so gracious with her, and and he's really trying, and he's really like putting himself out there, and and they have this kind of connection, even though she's not really good. Uh, I just it makes the scene work better though. I think because like you go, oh, she's the underdog. The so it's like he kind of it makes her seem. You know, it makes it like a better grudge match. In Haywire, you mean? In Haywire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, and and that <laughs> and I just didn't get that sense. You know, there was just no connection here, and there was just, uh, you no. know, you can clearly see in Haywire. Here's this really good, experienced actor. Here's someone who's not that good and experienced at it, but she's certainly game and mm. she's trying. And he's meeting her, you know, ninety percent of the way, so she doesn't have to come as far. And it's really fun to watch, and they're having a good time. That's a uh, really, really good analogy. I really like that very much. And I just saw none of that here. Uh, I didn't either. You know, quite frankly, as we were going through this, all all I was thinking about was how much more I wanted to know about the workings of the lighthouse. <laughs> um, like, what are the things that you're fixing? How does that lighthouse work? What are the rules of the lighthouse? How often are they coming? I just wanted to. I wanted to know. I wanted to know. Like the the particulars of the lighthouse procedural. I wanted to yeah. know the lighthouse procedural more than I cared about any of their silly emotional. Like at least I want to know. Like how often are these letters being delivered? If I have to, if we have to read these silly letters, I just want to know. Like what are you fixing? Like when you're not there, is there a sub? Or did or, or all, exactly that's what I was thinking too, like, Dingus. When off. you're gone for several days at a time, I'm like, oh wait a minute, our ship's just going to crash? Or I guess they dropped off maybe that redheaded guy as a temp or something. But yeah, it's the same thing. And I guess it's just not being engaged, thinking, well, tell me more about this lighthouse. <laughs> like, and also, well, we need to know those rules because when she yeah. tries to get in the house, it matters why he can't go out. Right. And we just and, think, oh, well, you know, does he have to stay there? The, the even from the moment he gets dropped off, I'm like, is anybody going to intern him or, or like give him the yeah, show? Yeah, is, is there a manual? I mean, how does he know how to light anything? How does he know? Is he good at it? Is light? he really good at his job? How does he know how to run this lighthouse at all? He just gets yeah. dropped off on the dock by uh, Captain Gordon's fish sticks guy. Uh, you know, like, like, I'm just going to drop you off. Here's your stuff. Good luck at the lighthouse. How does he figure out how all that stuff works? I was so uninterested in all of the stuff with Alicia Viking. And all I wanted to know was like, oh, that, that's cool that he's lighting that wick. And uh, well, how often does he have to run that? Yeah. Does he have he to at, at, every night? Like when he goes away, who runs it? What's the deal? What's the what are the rules of this place? Because this, I loved, I love the idea of it. It it's it's such for me, uh, it's it's such a weirdly um, uh, compelling even sort of sexy idea of this this lighthouse of, of of being this lone guy who runs this lighthouse and instead what we see is him like weeping over an anvil he's he's sawing some weird log that doesn't even seem like it, it, a log why not use an axe for that right i was wondering what is it, it just yeah. seems like a bunch of things like the director's like hey do a bunch of stuff that shows axed i mean yeah. physical labor I, I wanted the rules of the island before she came out there um just to have a sense of what was going on, because I was so much more interested in, gee, how does this lighthouse work? Uh, it would have helped on a lot of levels if there'd been a scene where he shows her how it works, and she kind of get she kind of gets into it maybe, and like yeah, and then it turns into sex. Or maybe. or or she's sick someday, and he has to bring the baby up in there, and and, and yeah, and it has affect their lives. Some actual things instead Vegas, of you know their, their main their main 
parenting is giving the baby a spinning top and then asking what rhymes with goat. Maybe if you read the book thing, it's all that stuff is in there. <laughs> is it? I heard they shot 200 hours of footage, and so this is like <laughs> that's all they had left was this. What I wanted to know. Nothing what, happens. What became of that cat that's on the boat? Like I thought that they were getting a cat for the baby, and then we don't see any more of the cat. I think the cat is a boat cat. That's they what I cats figured. Cats on boats to to go after rats. Yeah, I've been on a diving boat before yeah. that had a cat, and that's what I finally figured. So that must have been a boat cat. They teased us with a boat cat. I thought she was getting an awesome cat. Nope, no cat for for us in the movie. What's the movie we saw recently where somebody gets a dog and then the dog goes missing? The we, the movie completely forgets about the dog. That's the Zach Raya. Yes, thank you, Dingus. Ah, oh, here, yes. Uh, yeah, there's an awesome dog, and then I guess they don't have it on certain days, so never mind about the dog. I was going to say Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> Their dogs but enough bad. about me. Well, the first one. <laughs> I was actually thinking well, The Witch, but I think we know what it Yeah, we know what happened. Yeah. yeah. Poor dog. Oh, it's for Zachariah or the dog, just like Yes. See you later, exactly. dog. Sorry. Uh, so you guys did recognize the police sergeant, didn't you? Yeah, he was from Animal Kingdom, wasn't he? Dingus, uh, he might have had a part, but he's the guy who Guy Pierce has his testimonial in front of in the rover, uh, who's doing the paperwork. There's that awesome he's scene that in the rover. Guy? Yeah, yeah, same guy, Anthony That's Hayes. That's right, because uh, he's a detective in Animal Kingdom. All right. Right, and he's doing paperwork in the rover, and it's where Guy Pierce confesses about his wife, and he's like, buddy, I don't care. And it's just a great scene of him doing paperwork and listening and exasperated at Guy Pierce's speech before he gets rescued. Uh, but I love that guy. I don't know what he was – I'm not sure he was doing much here, but I love that guy in, in the rover. Uh, I, I really like that guy, yeah. but he seems so like okay. I'm bringing your kid back to you, I guess. <laughs> Nine yeah. lives. Here you go. It really was this. This it's really, just a neglectful parent. This was the kind of movie that would be like a lifetime TV movie. It's so like, as far as the yeah. events of it. Yeah. 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 Uh, so for my over and under, I did movies with uh, uh, babies in boats. <laughs> Uh, so my under is Gods of Egypt, which uh, you guys got to see without me, uh, but I finally caught up and saw it. Um, I and there's a baby that. in a boat in that. Wait, is isn't it, it God's – God? wait, God's – no, what's the thing that Ridley Scott did about Moses? Oh, uh, the Christian Bale one? Yeah. Gods and Kings or something? Gods and Kings. Uh, what's the one recently that yeah, has like Jamie Lannister as an Egyptian god? My oh Frankenstein? God. No, I think it's an Alex Proyas movie, even. Yeah, Maybe I that do. one's called Gods of Egypt. At any rate, my yeah. under is the Ridley Scott uh, Moses movie, because it has a baby in a boat, and it's pretty terrible. Uh, but my over, I actually kind of liked, uh, is the Warcraft movie, which has a baby in a boat. Now, admittedly, it's an, <laughs> it's an orc baby. Oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. Uh, and I, I just... I wasn't crazy about it, but it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I kind of liked certain things about the Warcraft movie, and it had a baby in a boat. So Warcraft is better than The Light Between Oceans, but The Light Between Oceans is at least better than Gods of Gods and Kings. So well, there's my. Well, I did really like the the fact that he did put up a little bit of a fight to say that look, this is why I'm here. When when he's trying to you know contend with her about. This whole idea of keeping the baby, he's talking about duty. You know, not duty, but duty. Um, and, he, and he's trying to say, look, this is the whole reason that I've been given this post, is for this thing that happens. 
I'm supposed to report this very thing. This is why I'm here. And she just won't hear it. And he just finally goes along with it, with his, which is horrible. Um, but I do like that moment where he says, look, this is why I'm here. And and that's that, you know, after the the whole rescuing in the boat thing. So I also kind of liked, you know, just to say one more thing I liked uh, is is um in in that opening scene uh, where where you're just, you know, I I didn't know that we were going to see a period movie. I had no idea what we were doing. Uh, and it says, you know, 1918, and he's sitting there, and the guy's like, you know, the island, that island is no paradise. He's like, well, you know. Uh, I'm sure it'll be better than the Western Front, but the the idea of of the island is no paradise. Looking back upon the movie, is this sort of idea of Adam and Eve trying to, you know, Adam and Eve on this island making their own new generation of people, uh, but failing um, in that early line as the island is no paradise. I kind of liked that as well. None of this pays out, but I, I was just looking as I wrote up my notes. Like, what are some things that I actually liked about this thing? Um, but yeah, the, that whole, like, the baby showing up in a boat. Sounds to me like you need to read the book, Dingus. There might be stuff in there for you. Yeah, I, I really have so much more to read than this. I don't think I'll be able to do that. So what do you then have for us? What's a movie that's slightly better? Actually, did you bracket it? Uh, I don't think I did because I really actually like the movie. I like more than this much more than this um but i haven't seen it in a while uh so it's it's weird for me to talk about it and i and i don't know quite how to say the name of it. it's a korean movie called Imare. um it's spelled uh, i-l-m-a-r-e and i'm not quite sure how to pronounce that um but it's this uh it's the movie that inspired the remake the the lake house uh, that stars Keanu Reeves in it, but this is the Korean version of that. And Sandra Bullock, why do you want to slight Sandra Bullock? Uh, because I didn't want to, uh, you know, I didn't want to make her feel bad. We love her on this podcast, and we also like Keanu Reeves. We won't, we won't have people dismissing either of them. No, uh, but I really like this movie. It's, 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 it's a time travel letter movie. Um, you know, you know, somebody puts a letter in a mailbox, and then two years later, somebody gets the same letter out, and and it, and this romance develops. And I do like this idea that uh, that this romance develops between Isabel and Tom. Which, by the way, <laughs> Isabel and Tom are the characters of the yeah. fountain. And all I can think of is uh, can we change these names? It's you're kind of distracting me by making me think about a better movie. <laughs> yeah. Did did M. L. Stedman just was she a huge fan of the fountain and she just chose uh Isabel and Tom to do that to us? Why would she do that? Uh or are just those two easy names. Uh but anyway. I guess you're gonna have to read the book and find out, aren't you? I guess I will not do that. Um so anyway, uh I really, I really because I like the idea of their letter the idea of their letters, I, I just didn't believe anything they were saying in their letters because of his whole, you're right, I was numb, here's my letter to you about me being numb, even though, you know, I'm a crying mess and I've immediately made a pass at you, here's my letter to you. And, and she's like, you have a light in you. You work at a lighthouse. Uh, I mean, it was just, it. It was just uh, so painful hearing them read all those letters and then the letters kept coming and coming and coming for the rest of the movie. Until she puts a letter in a drawer and then has to find it again. 
Um, uh, anyway, uh, Ilmare is, is my over. Under would be another... Uh, uh, somebody is uh, lost at sea, but not really lost at sea movie. That would be Sleeping with the Enemy. Julia uh, Roberts' thriller thingy? Yeah. So she fakes her death um, by uh, sending like a boat out to sea. And, uh, it's to get away from like an abusive husband or something. Yeah, to get away okay. from an abusive husband who like turns all the soup cans a certain. <laughs> if she doesn't do that exactly right, then he beats her. Isn't uh, it like Sean Bean or something? Who plays the bad guy? No, it's not Sean Bean. It's like Colin Firth or somebody. It's not Colin Firth. It's no, some, that's terrible. It, it, could, it can't be Colin Firth, but it's somebody. Okay. It's, it's it's some Colin or somebody like that. <laughs> but but I just remember that uh, Connor. She, she falls in love with a guy who is is dancing around in his yard as he rakes the leaves to uh, the song "Brown Eyed Girl," and I remember that. I just remember that as a thing. But I remember that she faked her death at sea. Right. All right. So uh, Kelly Wand, your overs and unders. What do you got for uh, us? Okay, I went with Lonesome Oceans as my bracket. <laughs> These so my... oceans shouldn't have been lonesome because they were right up against each other. There were two of them there to keep each other company. Which ones? I don't know. And this was Australia. It took me a while to figure out. Alicia Vikander was supposed to be Australian. What do you think of that? The only person who had an Australian Uh, accent was the little girl. It was the baby. And she's You could actually hear it. Uh, The others just sound like a bunch of Brits. It's like Fitzcarraldo. Some of it was in Tasmania. Some of it was in New Zealand. I mean... It was so weird to realize that because I thought, is this somewhere in England? And then I re- then I went and figured out what Janice was, and it's down off of Australia. Oh, it's a real place. I figured the oh, author invented it for this. No, idea. no, no. Janice Island is a real thing. Because um, one of the other things, you know, in addition to that wanting to know about all the lighthouse stuff is – is when the island threw that 40th anniversary thing that because because Janice was so important to them, so important to them, and defined who they am and put their stamp on the world as 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 uh, one of the guys, maybe bald guy, as as Kelly puts him, um, said, I wanted to find out who are these people and why is this lighthouse, why is this so important to them, and can we see some other evidence of this? of why this lighthouse is so important, and yet they totally disregard the people who are there. And uh, but it's a real thing. Janice Island is a real thing. Okay. So, yeah. So I, yeah. And why was that model so expensive? <laughs> what? That just, I could do that for a dollar. <laughs> uh, so it must be uh, – I, I also thought as the movie was going, I was like, oh, yeah, Janice, that's the, the thing with a thousand eyes. And it's like, okay, I wonder if they're going to explain that. And then later I realized, oops, no, I, I had it wrong. You got me, movie. It's like Azathoth. It's, isn't it uh, Argos? Isn't there something that defends something or other and has a thousand eyes? Hmm. Okay, well, that's it's not Janice. I'm here to tell you, Kelly Wand. Janice is two faces. Thing. One of the Faffer and the Grey Mouse are gods, has a thousand eyes, and the other mm-hmm. has like one eye. One of the Faffers in the Grey Mouse is a god? What did you just say? One of the Fafford and the Grey Mouser gods. You know Fafford and the Grey Mouser? Fritz Leiber? Fafford? Fafford with a D at the end. Oh, in that case. He's like a Viking. He has like a hook for a hand. <laughs> and then the Grey Mouser is like the, the wily one. The only so. Vikings I know of are Asterisk and Obelix. Oh. <laughs> a, a pile of shit has a thousand eyes. What? Sorry. <laughs> 
understand. What's that from? Yeah. Is that uh is that Hannibal? No, that's from uh Stand By Me. Well the shit has a thousand eyes. Because of flies. A thousand eyes. Huh. Oh. Okay. Hmm. Mm. Um, so it has legs. <laughs> My over is uh love letters. <laughs> With uh, Delta Burke and Gerald McCraney. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and my unders Waterworld. Wait a minute. You what? like this better than Waterworld? No. Okay, wait. My under is... <laughs> you better not say Postman, because this is not as good as Postman. The second Blue Lagoon. Return to the Blue Lagoon, where they go back to it. Is worse. Why would they go back to it? Because they were stranded there, right? They just go like yeah. back on vacation or something? Well, Gilligan went back to the island, too. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, I just find lighthouses so fascinating. I'm so yeah. fascinated by them. It sounds like a dream job to me. Does, does breaking the waves take place at a lighthouse? Uh, not that I recall. Maybe it right. does, though. Maybe it's just, or or Eye of the Needle. I, I don't know for whatever reason I was thinking about those movies when I was looking at over unders. But there's Pete's so much Dragon. better movies that I could. Pete's Dragon. Yeah, there's a lighthouse keeper in it. Isn't it Helen Reddy or something? Or the other Helen? No. Know. You know what? We'll have to do a three by three on lighthouses. I guess. The, okay. It's <laughs> not a bad idea. Uh, in the meantime, we're doing a three by three that is weird casting that uh. you think would work. There are no cops on duty because I can't decide. Well, it has you know, to work though. Well, and I can't decide what your concept of working or not working is. That's between you and, and your own idea of what works. So, no cops on duty. Uh, what I'm not looking at, oh, except, by the way, we've taken Daniel Day-Lewis off the table. So if you try to use Daniel Day-Lewis, you will be arrested. Uh, but otherwise, this is just uh, this is just a wild frontier. Lawlessness is, is in effect here. Uh, so this comes from uh, Dingus mentioning during our Suicide Squad podcast that Jared Leto is terrible as the Joker. It just made no sense. Uh, Dingus said, why can't we just have some interesting, different, distinct choice? And he suggested Zach Woods. Uh, a guy in Silicon Valley. He had a small part in Ghostbusters. Uh, he's just super deadpan, super thin, tall fella. Uh, and I just couldn't get that out of my head. I was like, yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, it, it's, it would be different. It would be something completely different. And people who read comic books about Batman would probably flip their lids. But I would love to see that. So this is along those lines. And that's kind of the bar that Dingus has set, which is pretty high. I don't yeah. know if anybody's going to be able to clear that. I'm uh, not convinced it's clearable. It may not be. Try it may not best. be. Dingus may have ruined this topic before it even existed. Well, but he still gave us that, Zach Woods as, as the Joker. We, we do, at least. We will always have that. Yeah. I feel yeah. like that movie exists in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dingus, since you're announcing next week's 3x3, three three, give us your third example. And these, I don't, I don't know how you'd rank these, presumably, like, from working your way up to your favorite. Or maybe they're just three that you picked, so uh, I guess we'll find out. So, Dingus, what is your third pick? for weird casting that you feel would work. All right. Um, I, I, this was a, a pretty exciting topic to work on this week. 
but it was really hard too. Um, it, it, because I started just thinking about movies I like and who I would plug in here and there. Uh, and then I started instead thinking about actors I really like and who I would like to see work more. Um, and who I, who I would put into another role. And, you know, what I almost tried to ask Tom about, but he, you know, put the kibosh on that was like, what if it's a dead actor or what if it's, you know, what if it's a, an older movie and I'm putting a, a contemporary actor into an older movie? Uh, but I couldn't ask that question because when I was like, can I ask you a question? He's like, no. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. You can't just like be asking things off the cuff. Um, so I, I just went with, um, with actors I really, really like that I, I wish we're working more, and and as far as weird casting is concerned, I tried to go with things that I think, well, maybe this actor who was in the role did a fine job, but I'd really like to see this other actor get a job. Or uh, I would like to see what this other actor does with the role, too. Um, so I'm starting with an actor. I don't think either of you have any idea who this, who this uh, woman is. What? Um, there's no way you know who she is. Uh, I like she, it. She's, she's from um, uh, one of my favorite television shows, uh, The West Wing, uh, but she just has a tiny little role. She has basically one scene in all of The West Wing, um, and it's uh, in an episode of The West Wing. Um, oh, God, what's the name of it? It's called... Uh, damn it. I wrote all these notes. I wrote... a huge amount of notes. Oh, I'll remember it in a minute. Um, it's called the Stackhouse Filibuster. Sorry. Um, and she plays this uh, um, GAO intern or uh, this government accounting office intern. Her, uh, the actress's name is Cara Delizia. Um, and she's, she's just this young actress who's in this scene with Sam Seaborn, played by Rob Lowe, who is, uh, Rob Lowe has been asked, uh, or he's volunteered to do this weird, like, uh, budget thing. Like, uh, I'm just gonna, you know, somebody has to throw out all these budget reports, all these reports that are made, you know, like the things that Sarah Palin used to make fun of, like fruit fly studies. We're going to throw that out. That's stupid. Fruit fly studies is stupid. Throw that out. And so, on this particular day, they're doing, they're just going through stacks of these studies. Um, and so Sam's like, yeah, I can do that. Uh, and, you know, Rob Lowe is just like super cocky. I'll just go in here and take care of this. And this young girl is basically just pushing a cart to bring in these stacks of reports and take these stacks of reports out. But it just so happens that she has read every one of these reports. This is one of those Aaron Sorkin things where, uh, a character knows everything about everything in the room. Uh, and she's read all these reports. Uh, but th- this particular actress, Cara Delizia, uh, who hasn't done much else other than TV stuff, is super sharp, super funny, has really great um, timing, and, uh, and is just quick, like His Girl Friday kind of quick. Uh, and I love the way that she works in the scene in this, his girl Friday kind of like, do, 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 do. She's just got this great pattern, this great way with the pattern that, that nobody else in the scene has, uh, including Rob Lowe, who I really, really like. And I considered Rob Lowe for a couple of things too. Um, so anyway, what I would like to, to 
do with uh, Cardalizia, if I could, is I would like to cast her as Peter Parker in Spider-Man. Um, uh, I would like her to be uh, maybe in The Amazing Spider-Man, uh, because I don't think Andrew Garfield even wants to be doing that. Um, but I think the idea of her as this newspaper person, uh, but who is also has the the ability to be quick-witted and funny the way Peter Parker has to be a Spider-Man, but also be able to handle the ideas of the of the newspaper job, whether it be the photographer or whatever you're going to do with her in the office as a writer or whatever. Uh, I would love to have a woman, spe- specifically this woman, Card Lizia, be Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And it doesn't have to be... In fact, I don't want it to be Spider-Woman. I want it to be Spider-Man. I want it to be her playing Spider-Man. And everybody thinks it's Spider-Man, but it's her. It's her being Spider-Man um, and pretending to be this dude who's saving the city. But it's this woman who works at this newspaper office who is also saving the city. But it's this this young girl, same age as the high school kid who's Peter Parker but saving the city um, so just just from this one scene in in the Stackhouse filibuster from West Wing it just it, ever since I saw that and I've seen West Wing number number of times uh, but this particular actress caught my imagination and when Tom brought up the stock pick this is one of the actresses and I had to kind of like do a little research to figure out who the heck she was um, uh she plays a character named. Uh, she's got uh, a really great name, uh, and I can't remember what her name is. Damn it! Um, anyway, it's her. It's it's Cardalizia. Why can't she be like Spider Girl or Spider Woman? There's a Spider Woman in the comics. Because no, I want her to play Spider Man. I like okay. the What's idea the- of a girl playing Spider Man, and everybody thinking that it's Spider Man and calling it Spider Man. Next, you're going to want Thor to be a woman. That makes no sense. Uh, oh, it makes perfect the sense for me. And I love yeah, you're going to want female her. Ghostbusters. I, yeah. I love the idea of her either either falling in love with Mary Jane or falling in love with an, with a, a similar dude or whatever. Falling, I, I don't care. I like the idea of her playing Spider Man. There is Spider Man, Spider Woman. Or a spider girl. Oh, the, the name is Winifred. Winifred. Uh, Winifred Hooper. Sorry, um, but I but I want her cast as Spider Man. I don't want okay. this Spider Girl that we're gonna like push off onto you know, the WB. I want it to be a big, uh, a big the big movie. The you know. Spider Man, because we're not going to do Spider Girl as a big movie. Where's the real Spider Man? What happened to actual Spider Man? What happened to actual Spider Man? Yeah, is he dead? Yeah, like what? No, I've, I've recast it. As, I don't have to account for Tobey Maguire or, or Andrew Garfield. Oh, so you're saying that it would be like an origin story. There's no Spider-Man, and this girl comes along, and everyone just thinks she's a dude when she's in the suit. Yeah, she's Spider-Man. Yeah, this so she is looks a, like a dude wearing the Spider-Man suit? What are you talking obviously. about? I'm recasting Spider-Man with her. Yeah, but you said that, wait, wait. I thought you said that they all think she's a man. Yeah. Yeah, she's Spider-Man. I've recast... They would the, go, wait, it's, it's, it's obviously the girl. Stuff. What, are you, what are you guys talking about? I don't know if... Yeah, if, they, if people see someone in a skin-tight outfit, like swinging around, and, and, they, and Spider-Man doesn't exist in this universe... They're not going to call a chick it's a man. Yeah, they're not going to say, hey, well, there's a Spider-Man. Or is it just like... Yeah, she chooses to be Spider-Man. Huh. But she is calls it... herself that? Right. 
Well, that, she does. Well, even even Tobey Maguire in the early movie doesn't call himself that. He calls himself the Human Spider, and Bruce Campbell says Spider Man. But he so, doesn't call himself the Lady Spider, for instance. Bruce Campbell call her. No, Spider-Man? he calls himself the Human Spider. So she could very well call herself the Human Spider, and he could call herself this. The, the, and Bruce Campbell could could label that the Spider Man. It doesn't matter. What are you guys talking about? I've recast the movie. With her as Spider-Man. I'm just wondering why everybody would see her and think she's as a, a man. Dude. Yeah. Why not? So well, she makes out with Emma Stone. That I'm on board. Why not? Yeah. I mean, I don't no, know who I'm, this I'm actress is. I'm not complaining. Is, I, yeah, I don't know who this actress is, but I'm, I'm just I'm totally trying down to picture with Emma the movie. Stone making out with whoever she wants to make out with. Yeah. So is J. Jonah Jameson also? Is she like Jane Seymour? Well, why are you? Look, I recast this part. Why are you? We're just asking about your scripting. It's not your casting. We're just wondering. Yeah, I'm about trying to picture the whole movie. Your 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 take on the Marvel universe. We're just wondering. Okay, if Spider Man doesn't exist yet, and a woman comes along, which is totally cool. Why do dudes think that? Why do people think she's a dude? That I don't understand. I'm totally on board with having a Lady Thor and all of that stuff. And I love doing things that upset comic book nerds. They need to be upset. Uh, but I, we're just like wondering about your take on the, the universe here, and why that's her name. But. I don't understand why I have to defend this based on what. No, the, we're not. We're uh, just asking questions. We don't. Uh, we're not attacking it. We're just a little. Uh, it's intriguing. I'm making uh, sure I understand it. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeking clarity. Because because another like like this happens in comic books a lot, and I, I mean I don't know firsthand, but in comic books a lot, somebody like will die. And another – like Batman will die or something, and then another person comes along and assumes the mantle of Batman. Or so Iron I didn't Man know if you were just drunk. talking about something where oh, Spider-Man died and this Cara Del – or whatever, this, this, this female – this woman comes along and fills his shoes and just doesn't let on that she's a woman, and everybody thinks she's the Spider-Man who died. Can you consider this the idea of like uh, – and I'll talk to directly to Kelly Wan's wheelhouse, uh, just one of the guys. So – a girl trying to get into the superhero club and realizing that uh, uh, it'll be easier for me to get into uh, the wrestling arena, the superhero club or whatever by being a dude. And okay, I'm so just as good as a dude and I'll be able to kick any dude's ass. So she calls her. So whether she calls herself Spider-Man or as in the first movie, the name is given upon her. And that gives her more respect because she's a male superhero, whatever it is. I just recast Spider-Man with a female character or a female actress um, who plays the act, plays the character Spider-Man, not Spider-Girl, Spider-Woman, Spider-Prissy, Spider-Lady. That changes the movie. Spider-Man. That's the thing. All right. Dingus, did you know that Captain Marvel is a chick? Wait, do I have that right, Kelly Wand? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, I you love that, because if someone were to tell me, yeah, the superhero named no, Captain Marvel, I would probably think, oh, okay, it's some dude. I don't understand the resistance to this at all. Well, we just don't um, – we're not resistant. We just don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's like – seems like a totally different movie, so now – Of course it is. Maybe. We're recasting it. We can do whatever we want with the movie. No, I know. I know. I'm not and it's saying not it's a totally wrong, different movie. But I'm just wondering if I did it mine right now. now well, you know, my, my number three, I mean – fine, but it, it – it's it's not it's a totally different character, but it's, it doesn't have to be a totally different movie. I mean, think about a, a super a super kick-ass chick playing Spider-Man. And no, that's fine. Yeah, I'm okay with that. But it just 
Yeah. We just want to know what happened to actual Spider-Man. Did you Nothing. kill him? Nothing. just doesn't even exist in this universe. The other movies don't exist in this universe. Yeah. It's a this reboot. Think you're rebooting Spider-Man, Spider-Man a fourth I'm not time. Anything. This whole topic <laughs> is rebooting. I just recast one role. I, I'm not, I have no problem with rebooting superheroes in interesting ways. I'm just saying it's the fourth time with Spider-Man. Uh, no, it's not. Just, it, it, well, yeah, we had uh, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Tom yes, Holland, it's, it's and now we have in the play. That's not a fourth reboot. It's recasting one of those. It's not like if you recast Jaws, well, that's a reboot. No, it's recasting them. Oh, so when you – okay, so these I thought, movies, that, I thought this whole topic was like as if we could go back in time and recast that. Sure, if you want to do it that way. Yeah. I didn't realize also in this universe in the, that you're suggesting <clears> – <throat> The other Spider-Man movies don't exist. I didn't realize that either. So from the get-go, Spider-Man is a chick. Yeah. That, okay. That, that, I thought that was the point of the topic. Mm-hmm. Well, not necessarily. I mean, I, I, I'm doing something similar to yours. We'll, we'll say, okay, well, I mean, that's... Mine might be stupid then, because I just went, what if this guy played this guy? No, I did I did some of those as well, but my mine, I did something very similar to Dingus with one of mine as well. So, so Kelly Wan, what is your third weird casting that would work? Well, I was thinking about Dwayne Johnson as Chewbacca. Oh, oh wait a you minute! Said, you said weird casting, so that couldn't that wouldn't fit. Let's see, I hope you're so you okay. Fine, that's, that's okay. not a real one. All right. So, All right. how many of these are I was thinking about, but also I did? <laughs> are we going to get? Because Dwayne Johnson can't play Chewbacca because you wouldn't be able to see his face. My number three is <laughs> not hairy enough. Plus, he's doing the Jumanji movie with Kevin Hart. He's busy. Wait, they remade it or they recast it? Um, I think no. I don't even think. I think the uh, director, who is someone of note, I forget who. Uh, it's it's a it's a sequel. Like it's in the Jumanji universe, and Uh-oh. they're acknowledging that Robin Williams is in the original. Um, so it's yeah, it's a sequel. So they just play the game again. I guess so. I don't think I've ever seen Jumanji. You haven't? No, I'm mean, weird. It's, yeah. No, it's creepy. It's There's like a, a space weird... one, isn't there? Like Space Manji. Or yeah, it's called Zathura. Right, that's it's what unrelated. I think I've seen. Yeah. It's a John Favreau movie. Okay. Wait. It's got Glenn's in it. Okay. It's got a good twist. Okay, my number All three right. is... Yeah, and no picking on Dwayne Johnson. That's just Dirty Pool. What? <laughs> I just think he's a natural Chewbacca. You wouldn't have to have, to have makeup. He's not hairy enough. A bald Chewbacca, seriously. He already has the accent. <laughs> Wait a minute, What? My number three, weird casting that works. Okay, you kind of have to think about it. Okay. But I was thinking Don Knotts as Gollum. I mean, yeah. Gollum, that's, that's an interesting take. I mean, other than him, isn't, is Don Knotts dead? Yeah. Okay. So it would be huff, tough to do, but that's my number three. Does he have to have half of his legs under the ground the whole time? He just swims in the boat, and then when they ask him about it in the the press, he'll go, I play golf. Wait, what was... After your Alicia Vikander, that was a little bit of a disappointment for your Don Knotts, Kelly Wand. I play (laughs) golf. Yeah. I feel like you're being mean to Don Knotts now, though. Like you're saying he's golem-like. No, I just think it would have been fun to see him in like a like an epic fantasy role. The same way I think it'd be cool to see a Quentin Tarantino science fiction movie. Oh, like, I, I'm just because yeah, it you know, just I'm seems on... like something you'd never see or whatever. Like it wouldn't happen. Right, so. right. 
Um, well, he would do it, but it would just be a send-up of a science fiction movie. Be like an homage. Well, you know, yeah, yeah considering that, that Hateful Eight is basically the thing, that's his take on science fiction. Yeah. Right. Because right. he can't make his own movie. He can only make send-ups of movies. Yeah. Remember when we like liked Super- Tarantino? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Remember Jackie Brown? <laughs> All right, my third recasting, and it's like what Dingus is saying. So, Dingus, don't get frustrated because I, I just didn't – I, I wasn't real clear on on w- what you were suggesting, but mine is similar, so I think that helps me. But in mine, uh, the the Pink Panther movies still exist. Like I'm totally okay <laughs> with Pink Sal- with Peter Sellers playing uh, Inspector Clouseau. I'm even okay with there being the Steve Martin reboot, which I've never seen, but I've uh. got to imagine it's horrible. But what I want is an Inspector Clouseau played by Kate McKinnon, and. <laughs> I want the angle to be that the Herbert Lom character, who's her boss, who, who hates her, he hates her because she's a chick. Like he's this old school sexist who thinks that a woman shouldn't be the inspector. And she's totally clueless. Like I could see her doing, you know, Manola Dargis compared to Jerry Lewis, but I could see her doing like a Peter Sellersy kind of thing. So I would like to see a Kate McKinnon, Inspector Clouseau. I don't know how she does with accents. If she wants to do the French accent, fine, but she doesn't have to. But she has to be like hapless. A little bit of that, that sort of insanity in Ghostbusters, but but bottled up. Like, don't go too crazy as Inspector Clouseau. Have fights with a Cato. Like, all of that stuff is in there. But it's just Kate McKinnon, our new Inspector Clouseau. Go. I think I mean. it'd be critical who played Dreyfus. Who played Dreyfus Herbert being the Herbert Lom guy. Yeah, yeah. Because Herbert Lom was a big part of those movies, I think, and like their dynamic. Yeah, like his exasperation and how he. What we knew about Clouseau through him, yeah, yeah. And I don't know who it would be, but I do like the idea that Al Jamadi. That's too easy because yeah, that's not weird casting. Yeah. Uh, that's basically well, is she like, French. It's like pig vomit. That's the thing is, was Steve Martin French and his? Yeah, he had a stupid French accent. Yeah, so I guess you'd have to. I mean, Inspector Clouseau, like that's part of his. I forget who played the Herbert Long character though in those. Kevin Fine. I don't know. Yeah, that's who it was. See, fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I just want Kate McKinnon to do uh, to basically helm a comedy uh, and to let her make a character. Uh, but Clouseau is an idiot and kind of racist. So is she those Clouseau things? Clouseau is racist? I don't remember any of that. Well, there's the all that. Oh, uh, my, my, my little, little yellow, yellow friend. friend. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I, which I give him a pass on because I just think he's dumb. That's his cluelessness. He's dumb right. to know it's racist, right? right. So yeah. it's okay. Although it is Blake Edwards who gave us Mickey Rooney in Breakfast Tiffany's, but Kate is awesome, so I think it's okay. All right, Dingus, what is your second? Uh, I could see. Um, first of all, do either of you have any other Kate McKinnons? No, but I could have run with him. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I had yeah. a runner-up, and and I was I wanted to put her into the Chevy Chase role in Fledge. Um, so I, I think we were thinking along the same yeah. lines, um, in in a way of of trying to see how far she can stretch and how funny she can be. And see, Fletch would like definitely tap into her her sketch comedy career, but right. uh, an Inspector Clouseau, like I want her to make a character that's like uniquely, even though Clouseau is. Pre-exists. I want her to uniquely make him hers. Uh, but Fletch, she... I, I just think of Fletch, Fletch is basically it's just Chevy Chase's charm, right? Like the, there's no Fletch character that exists outside of oh, hey, Chevy Chase is really charming, no, and here he does. There certainly the is, and and the people who love the books can't stand the fact that Chevy Chase yeah. is playing. Right, right. I mean the movies though, like right. uh, in the movie, yeah. It's yeah. just like any other fun, charming Chevy Chase 
performance, but he happens to do all the crazy characters. But he's a smart character, and he's just goofing, and he's just doing the disguises because he likes to keep himself amused, is how I see that character. But, like, would Kate McKinnon play Clouseau as an idiot? Yes. Because Clouseau's a dumbass. Yes. And he's super lucky. All right. Yes. But I do like the idea that of Kelly Wan kind of asking who the Lom character would be because I I could almost see Sigourney Weaver playing that. Ah, oh, that's a good one. See, You're yeah, I do kind of like that. Like Sigourney Weaver resent, yeah, yeah, I like that. She, okay, she's do? shown that she can be funny, like in Galaxy. That's a great idea, and it's both. It's a Ghostbusters reunion too. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> what? <laughs> now you made me not like I it. Made it like- <laughs> And Bill Murray's Felix Leiter. I don't know who that is. Oh. Dingus, what is your second example of weird casting that would work? All right, this is weird casting, and the reason it's weird, uh, this is another actress I would really like to see working a lot more, because I just think she's... uh, I just love love what she does. And, And this is weird casting because this... This particular actress won an Academy Award for playing this role, so it's weird to replace this actress with this other actress. Uh, it doesn't make much sense if if somebody just won an if somebody won an Academy Award for playing this particular role. That seems to be definitive. But I'm I've never really been, even though she won an Academy Award for it, uh, I'm not crazy about the performance to be honest. And and I love this movie. This movie is Silence of the Lambs, and this is the. Uh, Clarice Starling role, and I would like to recast it because, um, as much as I love Jodie Foster, I just I'm not crazy about what she does in the role. I, I know that's weird, um, but I would really like to see um, Alia Shawkat play Clarice Starling. <laughs> um, I uh, that put me down as a vote for more freckles in our leading ladies. Yes, <laughs> um, I, I just I was never completely comfortable with the way Jodie Foster played the role, but. Regardless of whatever Jodie Foster does, she's fine in the role, and she won an Academy Award for it. But just watching Ali Shawkat in Green Room, but even more so in a movie that uh, Tom got uh, me to watch, or you know, uh, badgered both of us to watch Night Moves, and she, and she doesn't get to do a whole lot. But I I just love that this this um, this kind of quiet confidence that she has about her, and I think that 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 really. That quiet confidence that she shows, especially in Night Moves, is is really um, uh, important for uh, for Clarice Starling. But more important, uh, as far as I'm concerned, for the movie as a whole, uh, as I kind of think about it, is how good she is, um, Alia Shawkat is, at uh, understanding comic timing or or how that works. Because I think that that as much as I love Silence of the Lambs, I'd kind of like to see more of of Agent Starling uh, uh, being not not crazy funny or anything. That's not what I mean. But but just having more of a sense of humor about herself. Um, and I think that uh, that Ali Shawkat, and I'm, I hope I'm saying her name right. Uh, I just love her as an actress, and I would like to see her work more. And I would love to recast her in this role. I like that. Anything for Aaliyah Shawkat? Absolutely. Is it Aaliyah? Aaliyah? I don't know how to say it. I'm assuming it's Aaliyah. Like, I don't, Aaliyah? I don't think right. I've yeah. ever heard that spoken. But yeah, I'm assuming that's it. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Wan, what's your second instance of weird casting that would work? All right. I may have to explain this one a little bit because it's 
you'll think of it's just too easy, but there's a I have a theory behind it. As long as it's, uh, it's, is it Daniel Day Lewis? No. Okay. Okay. You're, you're clear so far. Go ahead. And, and I picked you know, really well known. I people. do object to people talking too much to explain their picks because I never do that. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, okay. Kelly Wan, just say uh, it and move on. God. Yeah, why do you have to Well, talk? I mean, Don Knotts' Gollum, I didn't really have a theory <laughs> behind it. It just seemed like something that would be interesting. But uh, my number two is Stephen Hawking. Uh oh. As Mr. Glass in Unbreakable. Because I just thought that. Samuel Jackson in like a purple coat isn't like a good opponent for Bruce Willis. But if you have if it's Stephen Hawking versus Bruce Willis, then it, you're you're getting like both of the poles in the same fight, the antipodes. So because Hawking's Hawking is like frail and broken. Yeah, but also because he's really smart. Like Samuel Jackson's supposed ah, to be okay. the genius in that movie, but he doesn't do anything smart in the movie. But if it's Stephen Hawking, you get a sense of like how the years have affected him and why he's so obsessive about it. And he's also harder to suspect. So it makes the twist a little stronger. Is Bruce Willis good looking? I think so. I never understand in movies like in Die Hard when he's getting the facts and the chick is flirting with him and the chick is hitting on him in the train and unbreakable. I'm always like, really? Like chicks would flirt with Bruce Willis? I, mean, I think it's yes. about him being attractive and confident more than him being good looking. He's got that smirk. All right. But he, in Moonlighting, I don't, I don't know if he was handsome on that show or not. Because he was trying to be really funny. And usually you're doing that because you're, you're covering up for your, you're not as handsome as maybe on TV show. I saw him in a terrible, uh, oh god, I don't even remember the name of it. Uh, the 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 lead actor was um oh shoot who's the 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 cafeteria chef in Wet Hot American Summer Kelly Wand what's that guy Christopher Maloney yeah. so it, it's basically like Heat kind of with Christopher Maloney as the Al Pacino and it's great seeing Christopher Maloney given so much to do but the villain in this movie is Bruce Willis and he's just so uninterested in being there. And I just was like, oh, screw you. I mean, come on. This is so awesome. Like Christopher Maloney's really – and he's kind of bad in it, but he's really trying hard, and he's putting his heart and soul into it. He's really trying to play this character, and he's totally invested. And then Bruce Willis is just playing the villain. is super cool and laid back and could not care less about anything. Yeah. And it just makes me think, oh, Bruce Willis. Well, that's as a villain, though. He's not a good villain. Yeah. Do you think Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets better looking in Bruce Willis' makeup? <laughs> I presume you are being facetious, and you're not going to suggest that's actually a thing. <laughs> no, I'm not. God. Yeah. That's Uncanny Valley. <laughs> it's like the three stages of man, Uncanny Valley. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Stephen Hawking as Mr. Glass. Okay. Yeah, that's my number two. My number one's the good one. Whoa, okay, we'll save it. Okay, yeah. Right there. Yeah, all right, I can't wait to I... do with Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> oh, my God. Deep Blue he'd make a the good... LL Cool J part. <laughs> he'd be a good Gandalf, actually. A good Gandalf. Oh, my God, Kelly Wand. Yeah. <laughs> that could maybe be up there with the Zach Woods' Joker thing. And Yoda. Oh, Jesus. All right, See? my number two pick. This is going to require a bit of a preamble. I'm just so not delighted 
because it, it's actually very ugly. But I, 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 there's, I have a morbid fascination with what is going on with the the, uh, the political election this year in in the United States, uh, with Donald Trump being the Republican nominee, um, and with what is happening with the Republican Party. Now, I haven't been a Republican for a very long time. I'm certainly uh, a, a liberal. Uh, I've supported Democrats for 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 as long as well for for many many years. Uh, I don't think I've ever voted for a Republican candidate. Uh, but at any rate, I I am fascinated by what is going on with the Republican Party right now, and they're going to lose the election, and I'm fine with that. And I furthermore think that the party is falling apart. Uh, it is in terrible shape, um, and it has been amazing to me watching like, like Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, and and, and John McCain. Uh, Initially resisting Donald Trump, and then he gets the nomination, and seeing how they are each reacting to this guy being put as the putative front man for the Republican Party. Uh, I'm just fascinated with what's going on, and I can't wait for black comedies to be made about this in four, five, six years, however long it takes. Uh, for instance, we got a really good one called, I think, Game Changer, uh, based on a book with Ed Harris playing John McCain and, and Julianne Moore playing, playing Sarah Palin. Uh, and Game Changer, was it was an interpretation of what happened and of who Sarah Palin was, and it was fascinating. So I can't wait for movies to be made about what is going on right now, the continuing collapse, I think, of the Republican Party. Uh, and specifically, one of the characters... With whom I, who I'm most fascinated with in all of this, uh, Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey, has been a national political figure for some time. Uh, he's brash, he's plain spoken, but he's got plenty of nonpartisan bona fides. Like he's been willing to work with Obama. He doesn't tend to latch on to the obstructionism that I think a lot of the Republicans in Congress make as as part of their political careers. Um, and, and I loved how, like the other Republican nominees, potential nominees, he stood up to Trump during the primaries. Uh, and he was, of course, one of the hopefuls for the nomination himself. And he probably realized with horror what, what was happening as, as Trump, as the numbers started to line up behind him. But once Trump got the nomination, uh, Whereas some of the some people in the Republican Party just are kind of hunkering down, and you can kind of see them cringing and maybe hoping this will blow over, like Rince Priebus or, or Marco Rubio, Paul Ryan. You can kind of see them kind of hedging their bets, knowing that he's going to lose, and still wanting to preserve a career in this this crumbling party. But Chris Christie completely toadied up to to Donald Trump. He buckled. He utterly buckled, and now he's tagging along behind the guy. And he's styling himself as one of his advisors, and he's defending him, and he's throwing his lot in with irrelevant men long past their due date, like Newt Gingrich and Rudy Giuliani, who are part of Trump's entourage. And it's fascinating to me that Chris Christie, a guy who I used to have respect for, is one of the most craven figures in the Republican Party, a party that's stocked with cravenness these days. It's been an incredible fall. So I want to see a movie – about Chris Christie, who I suspect has scuttled his career at this point by hitching it to the, the parts of the Republican Party that are dragging it down. I want to see a movie about Chris Christie, and I want Matt Damon to play Chris Christie. I want the same Matt Damon who is in The Informant as this pathetic liar of a character who betrayed everybody in Interstellar. 
but who has that everyman appeal. I want Matt Damon to put on about 50 pounds and play Chris Christie. Huh. Are you going to green light that one, Kelly Wand? 50 pounds? Well, Chris Christie's weight actually has fluctuated a lot. Like, he's on his trim side now, I, I think. Um, the camera but, adds 50 pounds. <laughs> but I just want a beefy Matt Damon um, <laughs> to play <laughs> Chris Christie. Oh, isolate that. <laughs> so the informant's your reference point for how that would play well he's pretty craven in, in, in the informant i feel like he's yeah. an insecure lie like i love how it plays against his his image as this leading man what he yeah. does in the informant and once again that's steven soderbergh doing a great job with actors yeah, yeah. uh but i love what he does in the informant um and i love Chris christie's like a sweaty like new york i don't know like matt damon doesn't seem new jersey yes well but, but you know hold on he did that whole boston i mean he's a boston thing yeah you can switch over to jersey very easily i think Head down really? south a little bit, just a few yeah, miles. Yeah, he can do that. I mean, he can do that. I like this. I actually like this. Um, the, one of the reasons I like this is that one of my favorite podcasts uh, is this, uh, you know, putatively uh, sports podcast. And but they do a movie like review segment, and they were talking about the Sully movie. And the people in the podcast were talking about um, how they wish they could see Tom Hanks do something other than something that would appear on Mount Rushmore, you know, like a, a serial killer or somebody who's just awful. You know, and somebody brought up Road to Perdition. Well, he tried that and nobody liked it. Uh, but could Cloud he Alice. do that? Yeah, Cloud uh, Alice. <laughs> they, oh. they should see that. Let's yeah, that exactly. Could he, could he do somebody that's just deplorable or, or, or that you don't, you, you don't identify with or that you do identify with and then you, you end up like feeling terrible about? Um, but Matt Damon can swing that. I don't know that Tom Hanks can. So, you know, as, and I just heard this podcast like a couple of days ago as I was ruminating over this topic. And so I didn't even think about Matt Damon and what he did in The Informant, but I, I kind of, I kind of weirdly like this idea. Because, yeah, The Informant is about, like, his character evolves over the course of that. What you know about him changes a lot over the course of The Informant. And I'd like to see, you know, that sort of going along with the arc of, of who Chris Christie is to, 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 to me, to the nation as a politician, yeah. uh, I'd like to see applied. So. And where you, where you think there's integrity and then it turns out, uh, that, well, there's none there. I mean, that weird, that, that weird vacuum or that weird feeling of emptiness you feel when you feel like, Oh yeah, I can, I can kind of get behind this guy. And then, Oh, and, and plus, I feel it, like it, Matt Damon can do that. And it would afford some interesting opportunities. This would mainly be about Christie, but casting people uh, for like Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, uh, Trump would have to play himself. We wouldn't even have him in the movie. It would just be footage of Trump. But I, you know, just casting all the other guys running around these days uh, in the Republican Party, I, I could have a field day with that. So, but it's a Matt Damon joint. Yeah. The arc is him selling out. Yeah, his, yeah. His yep. rise. Yep, the arc is him eventually becoming a quote-unquote advisor to Donald Trump. Yeah. But if Trump wins... If Trump wins. Uh, Trump's not going to win. There's no way in hell. Again, Kelly Wand, it's it's not my confidence in the American people. It's math. It is math. math. We talk right. about this. Yeah. I'm putting my faith in your math. It's not my math. I didn't invent it's the electoral not. college. Uh, All right. All right, so we are down to our number one... Weird casting choices that could work. Dingus, start us off. What do you got? Well, what's weird is that um, 
what I didn't pay attention to your wording closely enough because you talked about weird casting that would work. Um, and what I was thinking when you said that was weird recasting, which is all that I've done. And you okay. just cast something and I, and that doesn't exist yet. That doesn't exist yet, which is a really cool idea. And I, I should have listened more closely to you because, um, no, he kept it open. You can do it either way. Yeah, yeah, you could do it either way. But I didn't. I wasn't listening closely closely enough, and I'm sort of kicking myself right now because uh, that whole Matt Damon thing was Chris Christie really kind of set my mind going. Oh wow, that's a really cool idea because uh, I can kind of see it. I can kind of see um, you know him packing on a few pounds and having to have a little bit of makeup, but not too much. And I mean, not as crappy as the makeup was in Life Between the Oceans, but um, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, but I really I like that idea, Tom. I really like that idea, and I wish. Uh, I and it, I would be, even be okay with it, with a kind of a, like Anthony Hopkins as Nixon thing. Like you don't have to put makeup on him; just have us, you know, have Matt Damon playing the role. Uh, I would kind of be okay with that. I think. Like well, I wish more uh, yeah. biopics would do that. Is don't worry so much about the physical. Like Johnny Depp with all that ridiculous makeup and black mass. Uh, I wish people would quit worrying about trying to physically make celebrities resemble who they're playing. <laughs> Uh, right. Well, well, think of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Capote, and and how, you know, they didn't worry about like making him a tiny little guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They just went that's with what he was going to bring so to it. Dumb. Yeah. That's something what Kelly Wand? That's just what makes biopics so dumb. It's just like you're watching someone wear a fake nose. Right, right. <laughs> and it's gonna win. Then that wins Oscars. Especially right? when it's right. someone you really know. Like when you, it's yeah. somebody you really familiar. You're like that's not what that person looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And then they still get praise. It's considered so prestigious to do that. And it's like you're wearing a wig and a fake nose. <laughs> it's like you're a clown. <laughs> that's the way to success. All right. She, she's got Tom's nose. That's what you want her to have. <laughs> I love how over the course of 30 years, Alicia Vikander turns into like a decrepit 80 year old and Michael Fassbender goes from oh, age 40 to age 50. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Hilarious. How did she wind up in bed? What's wrong with her? She's been smoking all this time. What's a little old woman. <laughs> And meanwhile, oh, Mike, smokes. Michael Fassbender, they just put a little pancake makeup on him. Yeah. <laughs> just scrunch his eyebrows a little and get just a little bit, just a little bit right there around the eyes. That's why she loves him. And he's going to slump <laughs> a little like bit when he, when he hugs the hot girl. He's just slumping a little thing bit. The thing is, that was a non-faked physical gesture. It was. <laughs> no, he was really slumping. <laughs> Don't slump. All right, Dingus, your number one uh, recasting. All right, so now I want to recast. Um, uh, th- there's a couple of things that I wanted to uh, put this this uh, this particular actor uh, into, um, but once I got going with uh, Silence of the Lambs, I decided to put him in Silence of the Lambs. Um, there, there's another movie that I that I was kind of considering casting him in instead uh, as a recast because what I realized that I've done uh, after listening to the last thing is that I kind of recasted rather than casting. Um, uh, so, but I really love this actor. So I'm, I am going to have to sadly recast another actor who's won an Academy Award. This would be Anthony Hopkins. I know we all love him. I know we all love his Hannibal Lecter, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to recast that. Um, uh, for the uh, for the version that I'm, you know, 
considering doing. Um, well, you know, by the way, he was re- like there was a Hannibal Lecter that predated Anthony Hopkins. You know that. Oh, yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. And it, it, that's the thing. I mean, as much as I love Brian Cox and Manhunter, um, I mean, I like him just fine, uh, and his little teeth work really well for the there's this description in the in the book Red Dragon about I think like his little chiclet teeth or something. Hey. Uh, uh there, there's just this this thing this description of his teeth and the way he looks and I mean Manhunter has a totally different visual uh, aesthetic uh than Silence of the Lambs. And so Brian Cox works perfectly in that. Um uh but he still has this malevolence to him, which is great. He's fine. I mean, I, I really, I know a lot of people think he's the definitive Hannibal Lecter, and I also love Mads Mikkelsen in the television show. I, I, I mean, I love the way that guy portrays that part. But again, there's this level of malevolence about him um, that works for the show uh, very, very well. Uh, it's it, it, there, the relationship with him and Hugh Dancy is weird, but. Well, it works. I really actually really love that show. But I'm just thinking about this idea of of, of thinking about Hannibal Lecter um, as a guy who isn't obviously crazy. And I think Anthony Hopkins, when you, when when uh, Clary Starling walks into that place in, in Baltimore, he just looks like a He's just a nutty dude. I'm not like I'm I'm eating feces off the wall, but I will eat your liver right now if you if you give me a chance. Bring your liver over here. I'll eat that. Um, it it it. He's obviously just malevolent and crazy, and that's what you want. But I I kind of I'm kind of craving a Hannibal who isn't obviously crazy who and who doesn't know he's crazy because there's this great moment in in the book. Uh, where uh, where Hannibal Lecter um, challenges Will Graham and says, you know, how did you catch me? You must obviously think you're smarter than I am. And and Will says, no, I I, I know I'm not smarter than you are. I just have an advantage. And Lecter says, what is that? And and Will says, you have a disadvantage in that you're insane. And I would like to have an actor play that part who. That would be a surprise for who <laughs> like, wait, what? I'm insane. I mean, and so the actor I would like to put in Hannibal Lecter is Clark Gregg. Uh, I love. Oh, the- Dingus. That's, oh, that's going to be such a brain worm. That's going <laughs> to be a Zach Woods' Joker thing. Dead gummit. I love this guy so much. Uh, yeah. I Agent him for a couple of roles. Yeah. Agent Coulson. Yeah. Um, As Lecter. I would just love his calm confidence and, and this, and then that coming as a surprise. Cause he, from his point of view, the idea, from his point of view, he's doing everything that he should be doing. And this idea that this guy who's outsmarted him is outsmarted him because what? I'm insane. Uh, and then working through that. And I just love Clark Gregg so much. I'd like to see him work more. I'd like to see him work in a role like that. Dingus, I'm going to, I'm, you're going to have to see uh, a movie called Trust Me that Clark Gregg actually wrote and directed, uh, and ah. he's in it. And he plays uh, a, a talent agent for child stars, like for child actors. Uh, and there's an element of like black comedy to it, but uh, it's just such great – it's a lot of Clark Gregg, which first of all is great. It's like it's, he's the whole movie, um, but he's just so good, and it's so much fun watching him do a – like he's kind of a sleaze bag in it, and it, I don't know that it would. 
it, it would just inform the level of range he has, which would make it even more intriguing him as a Hannibal Lecter. All right, uh, cool. So this movie called Trust Me, and it's super obscure. Um, I don't think anyone's ever seen it, but it's his baby. He wrote and directed it, and he's so good in it. He's the lead. So I do like that. Kelly, are you okay with that? I liked Brian Cox's Lecter in Manhunter, kind of. The problem with Brian Cox's Lecter is he's been so many other things since then that – well, it, Brian Cox is almost always Brian Cox. Like Anthony Hopkins does a good job, I think, of in a weird way, like stepping out of himself or not being present, like in Remains of the Day, where he's just kind of not there in, in a good way. Uh, like Brian Cox is just – he's such a boisterous presence that, that I, his lecture just seems a little weird to me these days. Uh, what about that guy who played Stamper on um, House of Cards? I've never seen House of Cards. It's TV. I don't watch TV. <laughs> I don't think either of us has seen House of Cards. Dingus, you don't watch that, do you? No, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. He was in um, Fantastic Four or something. Michael B. Jordan? What about that guy, Ermin <laughs> Trout, from Breaking Bad as Hannibal Lecter? Uh, well, he's class. doing fine in Better Call Saul. Uh, he's he's a little too laid back. I do love that guy. His name is Mike. No, his name is Mike Armand Trout in the the TV show. What's that actor's name? Jonathan. Banks. Banks. Thank you so Thanks. much. Uh, he's the voice of Commissioner Gordon in a in a in a Batman game. Oh which really? Makes for a very laid back Commissioner Gordon. It's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. I do His love voice that guy. Is the money. Unfortunately, Dingus doesn't know who that is because he. Doesn't he never watched Breaking Bad and he refuses, just flat out refuses to watch Better Call Saul, even though I tell him to watch it. Really? True story. Yeah. True story. Yeah. Wait, why does he refuse? Because I'm busy watching The West Wing. <laughs> oh. He's watching actresses who have one scene in The West Wing, and looking their names up. And uh... <laughs> that one was yes. no fair, Dingus, because we don't even know who that is. I know it is unfair. All right, uh, let's see. All right, Kelly Wand, give us your favorite – not your favorite necessarily. Give us one, the final, of your three instances of weird casting that would work. All right. Tom, you're going to have complex emotions about this one. <laughs> <laughs> Embracing myself. I'm sitting. Or no emotions. But you got to – okay. Um, here's what I'm thinking. Joe Pesci as Han Solo. Why am I the one who's going to have complex emotions about this and not Dingus? Because Dingus knows it's just too dumb to even care. <laughs> and I don't? I think I can, swing, I can sway you and Dingus will remain hostile. But <clears throat> if you think of the Greedo scene as like a Scorsese kind of thing and like Joe Pesci's like he's more of a criminal. Like, I mean, he's shooting another like hitman. But it's like it makes his love story with Princess Leia more poignant because it's like if he's a handsome rogue, it's kind of not that hard. But if it's Joe Pesci saying "I know" when he gets frozen in the carbonite, it's more, uh, it's it's better. So Joe Pesci is on song. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I'm not hostile. It's your recasting. I mean, you're in charge of this new version of Star Wars. So yeah, because so when saying. he shoots Greedo, instead of the oh, who shot first shit. Fuck that. Like, it's just, he just shoots the shit out of him and just, like, empties his blaster. Right. Like that kid spider in Goodfellas. He just does yeah. that. Yeah. He just He's does like that. that Joe Pesci. He's like an out of control smuggler. Well, and suddenly so your Han Solo is no longer a charming rogue. 
No, but it's like he thinks Kenobi. He's just totally makes their interchanges <laughs> just super snide. Like, dang, we'd eat the fossil. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that would be Joe Pesci. All right, Joe Pesci is Han Solo. Who's the bigger fool? He'd say stuff like that back, and so they'd just, you know, C-3PO would be nowhere in that conversation. <laughs> so that's my number one. Joe Pesci's Han Solo. Thank you. All right. All right, Kelly Wan. You're welcome. Uh, do you guys know who Daniel Day-Lewis is married to? By any chance? This is a weird, obscure question. Helena Bonham Carter? Joe Pesci. No, you would think it would be someone like that, wouldn't it? Uh, he's married to Arthur Miller's daughter, uh, a woman named Rebecca Miller, who has uh. written and directed a few movies. That kind of uh, makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but Rebecca Miller's latest movie is something called Maggie's Plan. Uh, and Maggie's Plan uh, – so so you guys remember Lynn Shelton did Your Sister's Sister. And in a way, Your Sister's Sister, which we all loved, it's kind of like a, a modern take on French farce. Like There's an element of farce there. It could be a goofy Moliere play or whatever. Uh, uh, Maggie's Plan is Rebecca Miller trying to do that kind of farce. And I don't think it works. Maggie's Plan is kind of – it's not a very good script, and it's sort of clumsy, but Maggie's Plan has an amazing, amazing cast. I so love the cast. Uh, first of all, Dingus and I are huge Bill Hader fans since a movie called The Skeleton Twins and Trainwreck. Dingus, what would you think of a movie where the main character's best friends are a married couple who are constantly antagonizing each other, played by Bill Hader and Maya Rudolph, and they're not doing a trace of any sort of Saturday Night Live goofiness? Uh so they're the married couple, the best friend of the lead character in Maggie's Plan. And Bill Hader has this really goofy, almost like afro, like his hair is ridiculous. Uh, so this is a move. Maggie's Plan is Greta Gerwig as a woman who breaks up a marriage. And she then marries the husband. But then as that marriage starts sort of falling apart and she's losing interest and he's losing interest in her, she then wants to get her husband back together with his original wife. And that's her plan is, is, is to do this, and that's kind of the farce element mm. of it. Uh, and uh, the the original wife is Julianne Moore playing – she's like Swedish or something, and she's doing a ridiculous accent, which is kind of charming to watch. Uh, Ethan Hawke is the husband guy, and part of the problem is that he's just such an unmitigated asshole that it's hard to sympathize with him or it's hard to like him. Um, but Greta Gerwig is just so amazingly – like. There is not an iota of insincerity about her. Like whatever she is doing on screen, whatever she is doing it, whatever she is saying, she just pours out this sincerity. I love watching her act. Um, and in Maggie's plan, there's an early scene. Uh, she and Ethan Hawke are teachers at this college. And there's a montage where they've sort of become friends and they're falling in love. And there's a, mon there's a scene where they're just walking past each other in a hallway. And I laughed out loud at the opening of this scene because of what they had put Greta Gerwig in, what she was wearing. She was wearing – and it wasn't a joke, by the way. It's what her character wears. She was wearing this like monstrous purple plaid dress. It was like a frock. It was so unflattering on her. It looked like a burlap sack. Uh, she had blue long sleeve shirts, uh, a shirt underneath it, and then her, her stockings were this other color blue like turquoise. Uh, and she's almost like waddling because of the way she was wearing it. And it was so awkwardly endearing, but kind of lovable, that in a way she didn't even know how to dress herself. Uh, so I want 
Greta Gerwig to play Chris Farley's part in Tommy Boy because Chris Farley is so endearingly awkward and lovable. And there's so much sincerity with Chris Farley with his, his, his style of comedy. Um, and Tommy Boy is about the son of uh, uh, auto plant owner or whatever who has to rise up and, and learn his father's craft. And one of his father's employees takes him under his wing and they go on a road trip and try to learn sales skills or whatever. So, so it's a, sort of a, a comedy of, of mismatched characters with Chris Farley and, and David Spade. And I want Greta Gerwig with that sincerity and that awkwardness and that charm to play the Chris Farley part. Um, what, I didn't put as much thought in the David Spader part, Spade part, but uh, uh, it has to be, of course, someone who has some bite, who's acerbic, sort of the counterpart to Chris Farley's charm. Uh, and Melissa I, McCarthy. No, no, because Melissa McCarthy, no. I, not, in, not in my movie. I mean, that's an interesting take. But <clears> Melissa <throat> McCarthy doing her like string of here's what I'm going to do to you things, I think it has to be someone who's more pointed than that. So I want... Greta Gerwig would be Tommy Boy, and I want David Spade's character to be played by Charlize Theron, the same <laughs> Charlize Theron from Young Adult. Oh, uh, I get it. Yeah, that's good. Wait, does she have the same name, Tommy Boy? No, Charlize they would have to Boy? acknowledge that. Yeah, Tommy no, she girl? would be like Thomas Cena. I don't know, whatever the female version. There's no female version of Tommy, is there? I don't know. Uh, yeah, they, uh, Tomboy is a thing. Just call it Tomboy. Tomboy, Tom I like Boy. it, Angus. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Tomboy. That's a movie with Betsy Russell, isn't she? Where she has like a, a wrench. She's Betsy Russell. We can do it. <laughs> it's a teen sex comedy. Oh, what right. Of course. How could I miss that? Tomboy. Fred Bo says. Oh, I love the idea of Greta Gerwig in that kind of role, though. Um, I just, I just love that because. Uh, Girl with the wrong. I was thinking of her a lot. Uh, over the, because um, I, I saw a couple of movies this weekend, and one of them had a dude that was in Mistress America in it, and it made me think of her and what she was doing in Mistress America. And I think that um, the, what you are describing that she can do, and uh, how you've uh, sort of described her um, essence in a way, I think works really well for this. Uh, I, I really kind of like this, and I, I think you can even you can even put her in your first, in your third pick as well. Um, I really I really like I really like this pick actually. Well, the thing, yeah, in, in Mistress America, which I I hate, God, I hate that movie, but she's so committed too to the, ki- the yeah. type of role she's playing. I mean, she's definitely acting. It's not just like in uh, in Greenberg or, or I guess even in Maggie's Plan, where she's just being an honest, sincere representation, I assume, of probably who she is. But she's actually doing a character in Mistress America, to her right. credit, right. Uh, as annoying as I found that movie. Uh, you guys don't know who this guy is, but also in Maggie's Plan. Uh, a guy named Travis Fimmel. Do you guys remember him from the Warcraft movie? Oh, good lord, no. Who was oh, he? He's really winning me over. He was the main... Um, the main human warrior dude who, uh, I don't know, what does he do? He, uh, he's the main human. <laughs> he's really winning you up. <laughs> no, he's got, I think he had a he beard. He becomes king at the end? He's the guy who fights he's the big the old CG, uh, yeah, he doesn't become the king, but he's the guy who fights the big old CG troll thing, and he brings, with the magician, with the smarmy magician guy. It's the only human who's not Ben Foster and who's not the smarmy magician kid. 
Yeah, but I cannot plug his face into my head. <sighs> He's on a TV show called Vikings that a friend of mine really likes and uh, likes Fli- Travis Fimmel from that. But it's, so I was told Travis Fimmel. It's not a funny name. It's a real name. It's a manly name. He's a tough-looking guy. He's probably a uh, Danish or something. <laughs> I I'll like see a Danish. I'm a Danish girl. Well, it, in uh, in Maggie's plan, he plays a pickle entrepreneur. True story. Like you do. <laughs> and he's hilarious. I love that guy. Huh. <laughs> Typecasting. Uh, all right. Fred, Fred Bow writes. Okay, get this. A totally weird but amazing recasting of Batman v Superman. Batman, Javier Bardem. Uh, Alexis Lex Luthor. Tilda Swinton. Yeah, I'll go for that. I totally would go for that. Yeah, I would definitely go for Tilda Swinton. Good job. Here's where Fred Bowe's judgment seems to leap off the rails a little bit. He writes, drum roll, dot, dot, dot. Superman, Peter Dinklage. Wait, I like it. No, wait, give it a no, chance. No, it's a little stunty, I'm afraid. What? Oh, Ooh, dingus. No, Ooh, dingus. Get it? That's Ooh. not cool. <laughs> I didn't mean, actually. Oh, I my God. Dingus. I didn't mean that. You know, wow, rude, dingus. We've come so far as a nation until <laughs> now. We just go screeching over the cliff. Dingus, if you're going to be casting dispersions at uh, short, small, uh, People who are short, I have a question for you. Um, Is it okay? Because we don't – I know this is – we've talked before about how – well, retarded is not something you use to call kids. Like kids aren't retarded. We recognize that they have a disability, right? We don't – nobody ever calls kids retarded. It's off the table as far as describing uh, an affliction that a child suffers from, the learning disability or whatever. So therefore, since the word isn't being used there, is it okay to start using it about things that are stupid? Like, because now the word is language; yeah. it doesn't apply to anything. What is it? Is it safe to use as a slur? Because we don't use oh, no, it as, in a mean yeah, way. Yeah, because it doesn't apply to, to children's uh, disabilities anymore. Like, there's no legitimate just, use of it clinically. No, it's all it dumb things apply to children's disabilities. It's just that you don't label. You, you just don't label the human as that. It's it's you, you say kids are retarded? I mean, like, you you describe a kid it. kid has mental retardation. I mean, that's still a thing. And we all know what somebody means when they say, uh, you know, that's retarded or that, you know, he's a tard or whatever. But, you know, you use people first language. So somebody has mental retardation or somebody has a learning disability or whatever. So but then if it's not you- used as an adjective for anything, for, for children, can we use it as an adjective for things that are stupid? And I don't mean can we, but, I mean, does that does that seem crass to you? It still doesn't seem to work anymore. No, I think like it's, it's gone. It's, we can't do it. All right, the word's gone forever, Tom. We I still like Dax Shepard in Idiocracy, trying to get his, his trying to get his mouth around the word retarded, describing his ex-wife. Oh, okay. She was retarded. He's busy baiting. <laughs> All right, so that's Slipbo's Batman Superman movie that he said he would go see. See, to me, it's like if the language goes there, then that's where – I don't know. Like if enough people say, that's retarded, then, it, then it's it's okay. <laughs> so now we can use enormity however we want? Yeah. Right. No, I'm, I'm not going with that, Kelly Wand. I'm with Dingus there. Wait, enormity? Well, enormity is, is often mis- misused to mean something that's large, but it, 
its original use, its intended use, is something that's terrible. But everybody now is using it to say, oh, Hillary Clinton's the first female president ever to be nominated. The enormity of this moment. And I'm like, no, you, stop. Uh, well, some people do think that, Dingus. Some well, people yeah. saying that might be using the word correctly. <laughs> yeah. They well, should say the, the deformity of but if, this moment. But if the person... But if the, if the person who is intending to say it is that this is the best moment of my life, right. and you correct them, and then you have to look it up and realize that, gee, popular usage means that enormity has now been perverted into big things. Yeah. Like, I don't uh, agree with that. I don't like that. Like kind inflammable. Of- yeah, but when something – when you got to call something dumb. Right, like re- retarded – isn't it's not changing the meaning of the word right. it's taking a word that is used in a more sensitive context and using it much more casually and crassly like pussy you call someone who's who's cowardly a pussy but that has nothing to do with your opinions on a pussy part of me was thinking i can't wait to hear where this is going but then that part of me sort of shut down and decided <laughs> no i don't think i need to hear where this is going <laughs> Paul Weimer writes, <laughs> I wasn't sure what to do with this, but here I am casting these out there, hmm. he says. Paul's back. We see wordplay. Will Smith as Paul Atreides in a remake of Dune. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about the waters of your homeworld, Usul. Oh, uh, hell no. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Oh, no, I'm loving this next one. Uh, Paul Weimer, this is going to buy you some serious capital to get away with whatever you want to get away with and some upcoming 3x3s. Dig this, you guys. Idris Elba as Snake Plissken in a remake of Escape from New York. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, my God, I love that. Or the Duke. No, not the Duke. No, the Duke's uh, already like a tough black guy. No, yeah. Plissken. Oh, my God, that is awesome, Paul Weimer. Um, What? The Duke Duke should be Peter Dinklage, I think. I don't know if you're joking, Dingus, but I'm okay with that. I love that. Definitely. I would love to see him play a badass. Uh, Paul Weimer's number one, Judy Dench as Reinhardt in a remake of The Black Hole. Is that Maximilian Schell's character? I thought it was an Overwatch character. Uh, Kelly Wan, not everything's about video games. Uh, Uh, Paul says he's gender flipping this one, too. I think it would add a level of creepiness to the movie and the role. What's funny about this pick is that Paul Weimer thinks people will know who Reinhardt is from the black hole. <laughs> yeah. Wait, he's the one who tells us who plays who, though, I thought, usually. Isn't that a Paul Weimer thing? It's Doesn't not in this case. Okay. He Reinhardt. doesn't write Maximilian Schell. Um, That's got to be him. But that, it, there's a robot named Maximilian in the movie. Right, which gets an confused. actor named Maximilian. Who owns him? And then there's a Slim Pickens robot. Yeah. With the black hole is the one where um, Matthew McConaughey goes into space, right? Get a little what I have to deal with. Oh, my God. This is a disaster. Actually, you you didn't like Interstellar either. You're not allowed to protest Dingus saying that. No, I just want to hear the word Interstellar. (laughs) (laughs) Arthur Giovanginelli. That says what? What? I did I it. Say it. Say Arthur, it again. Arthur Giovanginelli. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. You pronounce it Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is going downhill from here. Check this out. 
Hiroyuki Sanada uh, as mean... Sir Oron from Final Fantasy X. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not my topic. <laughs> Sir Oron? Yep. Is that really a name, Sir Oron? Of course it is, Ding. It's from Final Fantasy X. How do you not know that? Sanada Wait, is known is for movie? roles in movies such as Sunshine. Oh, well, I totally know who that is now that you Oh, Sunshine, okay. Yeah, 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 the, the Captain Sunshine. Uh, known for roles in movies such as Sunshine, The Wolverine, and Mr. Holmes. He's making me want to see Mr. Holmes now. Uh, and he pops up in a lot of supporting roles, at least in English-language films. I've always found him interesting. Sir Oron is a great character for – oh, no, it's not a movie. Sir Oron is a great character from a 2001 Japanese role-playing game. And I would love to see Sonata's take on this legendary guardian. Hmm. All right. Arthur Giovanginelli recasting video games. How about Bella Lugosi as Cthulhu? <laughs> that makes no sense, Caliwand. What? No, it does. <laughs> Cthulhu's not a person, first of all. <laughs> Bella Lugosi is not an elder god, second of all. How about Brooke Shields as Marie Curie? Now you're just what? Punk us. Logan Lerman. I don't know who that is. I know that name. Dingus, isn't that the kid in that, that uh, coming-of-age kids at school movie that you saw? Yep, he's in Fury. He's in Percy Jackson. And he's in, in Fury? The- oh, 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 Fury. Wait, what's Fury? Fury the Tank. Oh, okay. well, so Logan Lerman as Zephyr from Resonance of Fate. No, he's doing video games. Arthur G. Did I, did I, like, screw up last week and say something about it could be no. video games? No, you were offering people anime two weeks ago. Maybe he's trying to help. No, yeah, because these aren't all... That's not even the same. Yeah. No. Uh, so he says, when I watched 310 to Yuma for the badge 3x3, I was happy to see Logan Lerman's fine performance as Christian Bale's son. Right. So far, so good. Arthur's still in the domain of movies. Uh-huh. I also think he's great in The Perks of Being a Wallflower and would relish the chance to see him oh, – there he goes, video game stuff, video game, video game, video game, video game. Uh, apparently, there's something called – someone called Zephyr, a disturbed young man who's done terrible things and he goes on living. He prefers oblivion. I think Lerman's skill set would fit this character extremely well in the film. Oh, he's making a movie of a video game, I guess. And the film would provide opportunities for great gunfights. How about Jennifer Connelly as Coldcept? I'm going to recast Sam from I Am Legend as the dog in Monopoly. (laughs) (laughs) Checkmate. Wow. Very impressive. And he said it irritably. (laughs) This is stupid. Wow, Arthur, your number one pick pales in comparison to what Dingus just said. Dingus is too good at this game. That's what's so funny about his number three. Arthur Giovanni <laughs> said, number one, Colin Farrell as Geralt of Rivia. It's a character from uh, a video game. Oh, and also books called The Witcher. Uh, and he'd love to see Farrell play The Witcher. He says he's a huge fan of his In Bruges performance. And he'd fit into, wit- he'd fit <laughs> into a set of Witcher gear without a hitch. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? Different movie? Arthur says that Farrell seems to have fallen out of the conversation for these types of leading roles, but he clearly is capable of great performances. It'd be great. He means Mike Farrell, right? From MASH. <laughs> he's Will Farrell. He's totally fallen off. Yeah. Will Farrell's fallen off the map of these performances. 
Chris Markinson says, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right, but here's some casting that I thought about. Number three. Oh, Chris Markinson, what are you doing? All right, Kelly Wan, these are for you, I'm guessing. <laughs> Number three. London has fallen. Actually, this might be for Dingus. Number three, London has fallen. I would swap Aaron Eckhart for Woody Allen. (laughs) Allen would be a wimpy George Bush from the 80s president. Oh, maybe it's for me. Would be a wimpy George Bush from 80s presidency who has to step up with his life now on the line. And of course, wait, so he's Eckhart. Woody Allen is. He's Eckhart. Not Butler. All right. Well. Marketing continues, and of course you would have Rebecca Ferguson instead of Gerard. Uh, okay, yeah, you you can put anybody in the presidency then. Yep. Wait, that's kind of good. <laughs> I can see that movie. <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson protecting Woody Allen from terrorists in London. I kind of like it. I do too. I support you. Yeah. The Shining. Yeah. Instead of Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd. You change it up to be a struggling single mom played by Kristen Wiig hmm. huh. with an older teen daughter played by Anya Taylor-Joy and the twins from The Witch. Uh. Instead of Leah Beldum and Billy Gibson as the young and old woman in the bath, what? you would have Brad Pitt and Carol O'Connor. Carol O'Connor? <laughs> Uh, I'll have what he's smoking. <laughs> and then Chris Markinson concludes, I would, of course, keep Scatman Crothers. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so it's Kristen Wiig versus Carol O'Connor <laughs> for the soul of Catherine Heiner. <laughs> Carol O'Connor. Carol O'Connor, as the, he comes out of the bathtub and laughs. She hugs him. <laughs> Oh, I get it. His ass has sores on it. Oh, so she thinks she's so, making out with Brad Pitt, and then she turns it out. Turns out Carol Oh my! Okay, I get it. I didn't understand. Yeah. That. <laughs> yep, that's the best part. It's Kristen Wiig doing it too, by the way, Tom. All right. Kristen Wiig okay. thinks she's about to hug Brad Pitt in the bathtub, and it's that music playing, that like spooky music. Who are the twins? The Olsons. No, the twins uh, are the well, twins uh, from The Witch. Yeah, he means the twins uh, from The Witch and the uh, Anya Taylor Joy is Kristen Wiig's teenage daughter, who has The Shining, I guess. Right. Okay, it's good. Oh. I love the Carol O'Connor. It's terrifying. Taps in our fears of Carol O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> and the bartender is played by Edith. Edith over there. Uh, Chris Markinson's number one. I'm not comfortable with the first three words of this. Here says the Neon Demon. Uh, okay. Instead of Jenna Malone, what? You have Meryl Streep. It has to be present-day Streep, or from the last decade or so. Streep's screen presence adds even more gravitas to the character. You want the audience to wonder just how long she's been feeding on these fledgling models. You could also have it take place on an Elizabeth Bathory angle, with Streep submerged in the tub of blood to regain her youth. It's called Death Becomes Her. It already exists. <laughs> Goldie Hawn. I kind of like that movie. I'm a Death Becomes Her apologist. It's Robert Zemeckis, isn't it? Yeah. It has a, it has a life lesson in it. All I remember is the Twisted Head special effects. Um, yeah, me too. Bruce Willis is good in that. See? He's not... He knows is what he, he's doing. Is he handsome? 
Yeah, is he good looking? No, he's though? not. Okay. No, he's not. Right. He's not good looking. Uh, and Chris Markinson concludes with a runner-up. He says, my runner-up would be Kelly Wan's Ben Foster in Ugh. place of Vin Diesel in The Last Witch Hunter. That wasn't your choice to make. Choice to make. Would be so different. <laughs> Give it to us, Kelly Wan. That was not your choice to make. <laughs> the Queen's Heart... We would have said no, no. You now have Ben Foster playing Elijah Wood's part. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> What's the line? We were afraid that if we told you that the Queen's heart destroyed, it would have caused. Here, we'll do it. We'll do it. Ready, Kelly? One. I'll be Elijah Wood. You be Ben Foster as Vince Diesel. Ready? All right. We were afraid that if the Queen's heart was destroyed, apocalypse would come and you would lose your immortal life. That was not your choice to make. And scene. Thank you. Thank you very much. Michael Caine. <laughs> Can you do this with an iPad? Uh, remember you the last do this time? with an iPad. Oh. Uh, All right, Diggis, you said you have some runners-up, or at least one you, you mentioned. Uh, That's way well, fewer listeners than I would have thought. For it's, a weird, it's a weird topic. one. Yeah. It, it uh, takes a whole different skill set than, like, you know, Best oceans. Uh, best oceans. Yeah. <laughs> Wheels of decisions. Uh, well, Sorry. Before, before I, you know, I, I had already mentioned my thought is of Kate McKinnon as Fletch in Fletch. Um, uh, I I had also thought when I was early on just thinking about actors and what I would like to put them in because I would like to see them. Another thing is I had also thought of Clark Gregg as uh, Robert. Kincaid in The Bridges of Madison County, which is a movie I actually like, uh, embarrassingly enough. Um, uh, Mar- uh, um, Meryl Streep is amazing in this movie. Uh, uh, but I just like the way Clark Gregg has this quiet confidence about him. Um, uh, and uh, whereas Meryl Streep is so solid in this movie, she's so good in this movie. Um, Clint Eastwood is, he feels stolid which is kind of a different word uh which means he just i i think that clinice would, would be better playing the farmer husband rather than the parties playing the photographer and um uh, I, I i just want more heat in this movie and i just like the idea of of a less cold character and the idea of clark gregg uh just I, I think that he would bring more feeling and more interesting ideas to the role and would have more chemistry with Meryl Streep. As you weird know, as that is. You know who directed Bridges of Madison County? No, who did that? Eastwood. Yeah, the director of Sully. No, it was not Clint Eastwood who directed it. Hmm. Interesting. Dingus Denial is not just a river in Egypt. What did you say to me? <laughs> What I just said to you is, do you have any other runners-up? Oh, see? See what he did there? Yeah, I do. Remember how Uh, Moses talked? Okay, sorry. (laughs) Say, remember how Moses talked? Yeah, when Christian Bale was Moses. Remember Remember that John Turturro and Sigourney Weaver were in that movie? No. (laughs) Come on. You, You totally do. I don't remember John Turturro. Yeah, it's one of the funniest things about that. John Turturro is their dad, isn't he? What? Isn't he's he? the dad. He's the pharaoh. 
Uh, am I screwing this up? Isn't he Dingus? Back me up on this. Or is it Oscar Isaac? Did I have a fever dream about this? Back me up on it's this, Dingus. Yeah, John Turturro is in that. Yeah. All right. And Sigourney Weaver briefly is like standing around in some like council scene or something. Yeah, she's a scientist, like an avatar. <laughs> Egyptian scientist. She says something like, the snakes are sick or something. Uh, one of my recasting things <laughs> would be uh, uh, Danny McBride in an alien movie directed by Ridley Scott, but it's already being done, so. Yeah, they're ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Am I dumb to wait for it, to be excited about it I after all the other Ridley Scott? Come on! Is it Prometheus 2? Never mind. Is it Prometheus 2 or Alien 0? Because I'll see an Alien 0. I'm Let's done just with start it. a third thing. Is it Predator 6? <laughs> Isn't Shane Black supposed to be working on a Predator? Ugh. What? 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 No. I think right. Aronofsky again. Usual. You're totally lying. Aronofsky's not doing a Predator movie. He's doing a Predator movie. You yeah. are lying. Kelly Wine, you're just trying to trick me again. Jeff Goldblum's in it in Blackface. <laughs> you had me until Blackface. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you had me until Blackface. All right. Uh, I think it's, did you have other runners up with you? Kelly right. Wine keeps rudely interrupting you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am. I'm sorry. My apologies. No, I do not have more. Sorry. All right. Uh, Wait, I have runners-up. Yeah, oh, yes, Kelly Wan. What runners-up do you have? <laughs> I had uh, Ashton Kutcher as All right, Forrest Gump. I like this already. Go ahead. He's plays Forrest Gump. Mm. And I also had Lyle Lovett as a racer head. <laughs> all right. That's not weird casting, though, at all. There's nothing No, but it works. That. What? Yeah, it's super weird. I guess any casting in a racer is super weird. Yeah. John Cusack is Taft. I don't know what you just said. President Taft. Oh, oh, it's President Taft. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. It's an odd – why would there be a movie about President Taft? Samuel Jackson is D.W. Griffith. Okay. Now you're just making stuff up. Uh, Dingus – Stop Kelly Wand by telling him what his three by three will be for next week. All right, uh, your uh, <laughs> stop me. Your three by three for next week will be your three favorite scenes that involve uh, inventory or storage. Uh, I've already got at least two. Uh, oh, hold on, I'm thinking of maybe a third. I guess I have all week to do this. I don't have to do it right now. Yeah, I'll look right. in my attic for some. <laughs> oh, look at you. That's like doing a Paul Weimer intro. Oh, look what you just did. Yeah. See? Uh, next week, we're going to see a movie that has been out for a while. It's just coming out in Germany on video on demand, DVD. Uh, I think it's worth talking about. So we're going to see a movie called Triple Nine next week. Don't go see something called 666, by the way. That's not it. This is triple nine, and it's not even like the num- numerals 999. It's the word triple and then the, the Arabic numeral nine, so triple nine. Make sure you see the right thing. This could be confusing. Uh, we're going to see that, and we're going to talk about it next week, and then we're going to do a three-by-three three on taking stock. Or Say it again, Dingus. Uh, it's your three favorite scenes involving inventory. Or storage. Storage, right. Okay, yeah. Good. 
So you and, and if you want to send in your picks, you should send them into okay. uh, three by three three x three at quarter to three dot com. And if you've seen Triple Nine, come on, some of you surely have. Uh, let us know what you thought. Let us know if there's anything that you want to know about. Let us know if you have any questions for Kelly Wand about Triple Nine. What? Yeah. See. <laughs> let us know if you have any uh, anime plots as well that you would like Kelly Wand to read. We we could set that up for you. Um. Wait, I'm not reading next week's. No, but if any anime synopses come in, we're going to need someone to read those. Yeah, surely I will not be able to. I'm not going to, please. I don't even know Japanese. So So one's three by three and the other one's triple nine. (laughs) Whoa. Wow, Kelly Wan, next week is the mathematically perfect, harmonious podcast. It's also, and this is true. Proof Clinton will be president. It's our 360th podcast. What? I know. Wait. Triple nine. This? Six, six. Yeah. yeah uh, three by three. 360. Although it doesn't quite. I mean, there's divisible by three. Triple, so it's a big zero. <laughs> well, that's this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you don't want to miss the, the perfect harmonious math lining up next week. Back where we started. What do you call it when all the planets line up? There's a word for that, right? Harmonic convergence. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The Harmonic Convergence podcast next week. Join us for that. Who's looking at it though? Like, if the planets are all lined up, is is an alien going? Oh yeah, okay, it's time. Or because we're in the middle, so we don't even see anything. Kelly, one, they're called telescopes. Yeah, but satellites and probes. Don't we need if we can't look in both directions at the same time? So we have to look (laughs) at the five this way, the three that way. Oh, Janice. Uh, okay, we'll have to get into that much. in our astronomy podcast. Oh. So. I think we should start expanding into science. Please. We already do so. We, we offer now that we've so covered much, film. We offer science, math, geometry. That's true. Politics. Yeah. You got it covered. We do psychology. Some, we do a bunch of grammar. Yep. Don Knotts. <laughs> yeah. The, the enormity of this podcast is literally yeah. big. If the circumference of this podcast is 360. <laughs> All right, so join us next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Mrilitsky. It's Christian Murawski. And we had Kelly Wand. I want to have sex with Rachel Weiss and Helena Bottom Carter's Plan of the Apes makeup. Does that make me gay? Friend is someone la, la, not that. La, la, la. Now that he had to go away, I still feel the words that he might say. Turn on your heart light, let it shine wherever you go, let it make a happy glow for all the world. Dingus, I saw Neil Diamond in concert and there was like a green diamond who had a lasers at the end. How many words do you know that sound like goat? Let's see. One. Two. I've had this coming for a long time. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice, Joyce! Make. 
That wasn't your choice to make. That's what he says after Warcraft to himself. 